Let's roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Countercharge. I'm Jackson Blakemore. I'm Kevin Spear. I'm Chad Courtney. And I'm Rob Phanoff, and we're back again for another Army Review, this time the Order of the Brother Mark. And guys, we've never done an Army Review for this Army. Now, to be fair, it hasn't been around that long, but... You know, the Brotherhood has, and the fact that we've never talked about the Brother Mark, I think, is a, is a shame. The story and the background for this army is very compelling. To kick us off, why don't you share your experience with the Brother Mark and how you found that army? Essentially how I started to play Brother Mark. So I, I'm a Basilean player to begin with. I started off when I was really young, about 12 years old. Uh, I started playing Basileans, and I really liked them. I really liked the whole aspect of them, and there were some things that didn't that didn't sit right with me, especially the formation. I, I hated the Basilean formation. When did, when did Brother Mark come out? October 2015 in the first Uncharted Empires book. Yeah, so that they started pushing that out, and I was like, hey, they, I mean, this is a really cool army because they're not – I mean, they are heroes, but they're not the heroes that you would think of when you think of Basileans. They're, they're the demon slayers. They're the guys who do the dirty work for Basileans. And I start looking into their profiles like, dang, some of these characters are just crazy good, like with the capabilities that you can give them uh, and the formation. The formation is what really sold me. I mean, that was the final that was the final nail in the coffin for me, I suppose. It, it was just like, this formation is leaps and bounds better than the Basilean formation, and that's what sold me. And so I started playing, and I do not regret it at all. Yeah, Kevin, why don't you touch on your origin a little bit? Yeah, as for me, what brought me the brotherhood and brother mark is <laughs> well, i was a bretonian player I, I mean honestly it's what brought me into uh war gaming as a whole because that's been about oh my gosh uh 2003 2004 is really when i started getting into gaming um and and i was a history major in college and my particular focus was in medieval studies and so <laughs> one of the big things people were talking about was like, hey, man, there's this night faction. Why don't you go play it? And, you know, I played Bretonians on and off for the next, what, 10 years, give or take. Once that schism happened uh, with Warhammer Fantasy uh, pretty much dying, I was kind of, you know, left with not a whole heck of a lot. Right. Just kind of like I tried that new game, the, the Age of Sigmar kind of thing, and that wasn't for me. And I would say. I, I think it was in October is when Keith Conroy uh, shot me a text and he was like, Hey man, uh, the unpluggers are having a GT. Uh, you want to join? And I was like, with what? He's like, Oh, with this new game called Kings of war. And I was like, uh, okay. And he's like, Oh, Hey, and they've got this new faction called the brotherhood. It's just like the Bretonians. You'll love it. And I was like, all right, uh, when's the GT? And he's like, Two weeks from now. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, uh, let's get a game in. And we got a game in. And within two turns of that first game, like I was hooked on on Kings of War itself. It, it had everything that I was looking for. And it brought back the same feelings that Bretonians had, right? With your knights and your, your villains, your peasants and all of that sort of thing. And ultimately, what really drove me towards the brother mark when the brotherhood kind of died 
was that particular background of of them being basically like the old grumpy knight that refuses to change right like everything around them, the world is, is dying and i've sworn this oath man and i am just gonna you know i'll grumble about these new things and about how other people have given up but i'll, I'll keep going back and it's and every year the brother mark gets a little more a little more edits a little more revisions and they become more of that vision that unique army and that's a really joy to play so i'm really glad to be here thanks so much <laughs> very glad to have you kevin jen same question to you kind of give us your background story with the brother mark yeah so i've been playing them for about 2 years now so i i started playing kings of war in sort of june 2020 um after doing a bit of a a hobby project basically to make an old school dogs of war army just to have something to do i wasn't really playing sort of tabletop war games at that point um started off making a rawdier army and then sort of progressively just made more um men armies basically but i had this idea that i just wanted to do um a sort of a um torch and pitchfork type force um, and originally thought it was going to be a kingdoms of men fanatics heavy army um, and then i heard um the northern kings guys talking on their youtube channel about this idea that you could have piles of um villain penitents and they had huge amounts of nerve and they were just this sort of unruly mob of of sort of peasants basically and i was hooked at that point that became the sort of the catalyst for me wanting to play the faction really and it just sort of stuck from there and just as these projects do, tends to get a bit out of hand. What's interesting is hearing you guys speak. None of you guys are coming at it because, oh, this is the most powerful army. Oh, clearly not. <laughs> it's, it's got its counters, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because I think it's, it's, a, it's a combination of modeling opportunities, background story, the organic evolution of that story from where it was just like a villain for a Bretonian army to something very unique now in, in the, in the Panathor lore. So uh, I'm excited to dive in. And I think, where we should probably start is modeling because there is no official range for Mantic because, you know, it's it's guys on horses and a lot of like armored dudes and kingdoms of heaven kind of look, right? Maybe with a little bit more knights, but I, I think it's very evocative and there's probably lots of ideas here. So maybe go around the room and, you know, what are you guys using for your army? Uh, Kevin, why don't you start us off? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I may have left... Uh, the games workshop behind, but I still use uh, uh, the Stormcast Eternals as my core. And then with a lot of additions, because I currently actually, speaking of hobbying, is I'm working on updating my brother Mark army, uh, particularly for the Orktown GT. And I have this kind of like Griffin theme in my army in all sort of aspects. So if you've ever seen the Stormcast, they've got them on their pauldrons, they've got them on their chest plates, they ride around on those kind of like demigriffs. And so I've been trying to move away from those old-fashioned Bretonian to a little more fantasy look. Uh, and so right now I'm actually working on those Highland miniatures. Um, they make this really cool kind of demigriff unit. There's like three of them, and they're all in different kind of poses. And I have about 16 of them going so far following in my particular, you know, blue-red color scheme. I've uh, gotten all the the, uh, the mounts done, working in on the riders. And I'm also working on converting to kind of like count as phoenixes. Uh, and they're older models from like Signum Workshop. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that thing. There's one model that they use. It's called Cassandra, the Celestial Healing. She's a human from the torso up, and she's raising her hands up, and she's got this kind of like uh, monk look. But from the bottom down, she's got that griffin look with the giant wings over the top, and she's raising her hands to the sun. 
And normally she's just like a large cavalry size, but I worked with a 3D printer to blow it up to about like a celestial dragon size miniature <laughs> to really hit that height five like feel. <laughs> and then I have a second one who's called Kiros, the midday sun, who's kind of similar. He's a, um, uh, instead of being like a monk, he's more of a knight. So he's got this ginormous lance and shield and they kind of fill in for that Phoenix look um, in that, that knightly order. <laughs> How about you guys? Jed, you want to go next? Yeah. So I, I use a, a mixture of things really. Um, the main sort of bulk of my, of my army, because I, I actually um, have a quite heavy foot contingent for my brother Mark. I've got some knights because sort of you have to at some point. Um, but the actual majority of the models in my army are, are, are on foot. So um, they're mostly uh, Fireforge Northmen. Um, so there's the Spearmen or the sort of the general warriors that I, I sort of use as the base for a lot of things. But there's also a, a, a box called the Fireforge Human Rabble, I think they're called. And they're, they're, just, they're just peasants with pitchforks and baskets and buckets and everything. And it's just when they're all put together in a sort of a big mass, they just look really, really good. Um, and uh, like Kevin, I use um, a lot of the Highland Miniatures 3D prints for the more sort of interesting units, things like the Oathsworn Guardians and the like. And I think the only Mantic elements of the army are um, Phoenixes, because I quite like the, the Mantic Titan models. I think they're really cool. So I've got some of the Phoenixes from Mantic, but otherwise, yeah, just a nice mix, really. And Jackson, over to you, sir. I get most of my models from my dad because... <laughs> uh, <laughs> because why wouldn't you, right? If you, exactly, got, if you, exactly. if you have a built-in store... My, my dad's my dad's my supplier. So I've got I've got all sorts of uh, models. I've got 3D printed ones uh, to Reaper Bones. My, uh, my dragon for my formation is a Reaper Bones dragon that we used uh, color shift paints on for the wings. I've got all of the uh, knights on horses are mantic. But they're painted. They're painted differently in accordance, like Order of the Abyssal Hunt. When we get to that, and yeah, a lot of a lot of bones figures, a lot of Reaper bones. Like most of my heroes are, if they're not mantic, they're Reaper bones because we just have them just laying around the house and pick them up. Like, hey, that looks like a priest. Let's use that. Uh, so yeah, just a bunch of bones, bunch of mantic. My infantrymen, one of them's mantic, one of them's three D printed, and then. One's, uh, we just got it from the internet somewhere. I can't remember where. Perry? Perry Miniatures, apparently. Perry, Perry Miniatures, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, they make a great historical range that works for a lot of human armies. It's funny, because you hear you guys talk, there's kind of two paths. There's the people that, like, Jackson started with Basilea, and then rolled into Brother Mark. So there's a lot of things in his Brother Mark army that came right out of the Basilea, and, like, you know, you got a Phoenix and, you know, Knights and some of that stuff. Uh, but then there's people that came into it more like Kevin, where you came in through it from the Bretonian. So you at least start from that point where you've got the classic sixth edition, you know, Anthony Reynolds, uh, Bretonian army, uh, you know, Grail Knights and Questing Knights and all that cool stuff. Uh, and then you got Jed, you kind of started clean, fresh. You didn't really have an army. You kind of just heard how cool the background was and kind of came into it. And I think Fireforge makes fantastic models. And, that, and, you know, they really fit that theme of that dark and gritty human, you know, that human army. It's quite interesting. On that on that point, Rob, because um, you obviously look at um, some of the more quintessential units that are in um, the Brother Mark list, sort of like the Palace Guard, for example. They just they hold uh, they just they just aren't very interesting to me at all. It's it's all about the sort of the the, the simple guys just making do and sort of getting by. That's more my thing rather than the sort of the the angels and all that. So to play um, 
Vesalia Basilea, whichever we've decided on, is uh, is not something that particularly appeals to me at all, really. I'm actually incredibly jealous of all of you because I had that starting Bretonian point, and so I felt like I needed to kind of build from there. I wish I could have start from like a clean slate from the get go, especially now with so much choice. Right, like ten years ago, you just didn't see all of this wonderful like 3d prints lost kingdom yeah oh my goodness gracious like and and i really dig like jed the you like that simple very basic peasant look i really like that fantasy look in that that the brother mark seem like really really angry knights right like if you're talking like magic the gathering they kind of have like a white red kind of combination kind of go with it and you could kind of really lean into that anger and there are some really cool ranges and i'm thinking like raging heroes i don't know if you've ever seen that particular range i forget what the name is of it but they have this super angry zealous like motif of uh of both like women so you can do the the basilea but also of the men uh models yeah i mean from a modeling standpoint this is a great army right you have lots of options and also depending on which build you go with you know you have lots of different you know if you want to go with more of that uh, classic just tons of dirty bodies great there's that option or if you want to go with maybe more of the more elite there there's that as well so uh it's cool and that, that's a great segue into our next topic, which is the background. This is an unusual army. We have, what are we up to now? 29 armies. This army and, and its sister, the Order of the Green Lady, started with the Brotherhood. And for those that maybe got into the game much later, they don't even really remember the Brotherhood. But I figured it'd be nice to kind of go back through the process of looking at the development of this army over time. And one of the things that struck out stuck out to me is that this is an army that it started as a poster child for the Warhammer proxy in October, 2015, we got the first uncharted empires book. Like it literally was a Bretonian army. And to, to see the evolution from where you went to that, we started at that point to where it is now. I like your, uh, your adjective, Kevin angry, because I think there is like, they're, they're harboring some anger for obvious reasons, right? Like they, they've, they've been through it. The Knights of the Brotherhood swore great oaths dedicating their lives to one purpose, hunting down and destroying the agents of the Wicked Ones wherever they could find them. Charles steadied himself to issue the command he had always feared, abandon your posts. But he had left the order too late. He felt the fort lurch beneath him and sail upwards like a boat caught on the high tide. To his left one of towers soared skywards before tumbling away into the open moor of the abyssal chasm. The other soldiers were clambering over each other, desperate to escape their fate but it was futile. One by one, they were engulfed into the fiery pits. He knew his time and the time of the Brotherhood had come. Raising his head and staring out at the destruction before him, Charles gripped the parapet. His watch would not end. Even as the solid ground of the fort crumbled beneath him, he kept gazing outwards into the black heart of the abyss. His watch would not end. When the abyss swelled and the demonic legions poured forth, the Brotherhood were one of the first to face the onslaught as the scorching hellfires torched the earth and the hordes of evil spilled across the land. Lifetimes of training and preparation heroically stemmed the tide and even pushed back against the horror in places, but the Brotherhood took severe losses and were eventually put on the back foot until help arrived. From the forest of Galahir, 
The Green Lady's forces swelled the ranks of the Order of Redemption as man, beast, and elemental fought side by side. From the south, the legions of Basilea marched to war and paladins, sisters, villains, and knights fought and died shoulder to shoulder. Bonds were made, but more were broken. Attrition began to take its toll. Whereas the forces of nature and Basilea could more readily call upon reinforcements, the Brotherhood were battling with a depleting reserve. The ranger, Swain, fought like a madman, stories of his exploits being recounted from across the front lines, spanning an almost impossible tract of land. But even the feats of their heroes and the support of their immediate allies couldn't prevent the destruction of the Brotherhood's lands and dwellings. Castles and outposts fell one by one and many were abandoned in favor of more defensible or strategically valuable locations. The final blow came with the catastrophic conclusion to the war, the drowning of the demonic moor. A bittersweet moment for the Brotherhood, the flooding of the abyss was a dagger to the heart of evil but also swept away vast swathes of their lands and property, sluicing clear much they had built and wiping it clean from the earth. The survivors lacked the resources to quickly rebuild and re-establish the Eternal Watch to even a vague shadow of what it had been. The political schemers of Basilea quickly began courting the remaining exemplars and offered their support in rebuilding the Brotherhood's fortresses, for surely the quenching of the Abyss would only be temporary. Such support was of course not without some distasteful and, to many, unacceptable conditions. The Brotherhood would more than ally themselves to the hegemony, they would become part of it, and while they could retain some of their traditions and military doctrines, it was clear that their culture and military expertise was to be absorbed. Fierce disagreements erupted between the exemplars as the options were discussed, and while no knights came to blows, the situation drove a final wedge in a shattered people. Some reluctantly sided with the Basilean proposal. Others argued that the Green Lady most represented their interests, loyalty, and purpose, whilst yet more declared that the Eternal Watch should exist everywhere, not tied to one place, unless that was to mean a return home to the ancestral Forsaken Isles. And so the Brotherhood continues to survive, albeit in a fragmented form. The Orders of the Brother Mark and the Green Lady have both been born from the remnants of the old Orders. These institutions still live on in the hearts of all the Brotherhood, however, especially the roaming groups of those that seek out darkness wherever it lurks and wander the land in small warbands, hunting evil in every corner. Sway maintains links with new orders and refugees alike, passing on messages, keeping stories and history alive. His great hope is that one day the Brotherhood will reunite, but at least for now the Eternal Watch is very much still alive. Obviously, it started in Uncharted Empires in 2015. Uh, that's the second edition. You know, and it was an army to get you by. You had a Bretonian army, great, come play. Uh, in so the Brotherhood was the that was the first time that was available in Kings of War. And it was essentially the Knight Army. It's a good place to start. And I'm sure, Kevin, obviously, when you saw that list, it obviously resonated with you because you're like, well, I have a Bretonian army, and, and there was a lot of corollary there. Absolutely. It was just an an easy switch over. It didn't feel in any way difficult. Like I, I like I said, like within two turns, I went, this is the game for me. This is the army for me. This is what I want to do. Were there some issues with our lovely Thunderous Charge and lots and lots of um, terrain problems? Yeah, but overall, like it, 
it felt like a continuation. And then as we transitioned out of the Brotherhood into these two new armies, then you really felt like, yeah, you have something unique here. And that's that's a really cool thing. Yeah. And we should mention, you know, at that point, we're talking about an army that, you know, the kind of they were hunting evil, right? They, they were already sort of on that vigilant watch of the abyss. Uh, and so that's where we started from. And then the next iteration of the army was the Edge of the Abyss summer campaign 2017. And this is where it took a crazy turn. Some people still haven't come to grips with what, what actually occurred. But, you know, narratively, the Brotherhood Army was destroyed within that campaign. They literally fell into the abyss. I got to ask you guys, were you guys expecting that twist? And, you know, how did you feel after the army was destroyed and then, you know, the remnants obviously coming coming out of it? Is is my army gone? Was essentially like the thought was uh, <laughs> because uh, we've we've seen that, like, they didn't remove Twilight Kin, but they did take him out for a little bit. And so we kind of I was kind of expecting something like that. Well, like, crap, now I can't play these guys for a little while or maybe indefinitely. So it was definitely a shock and it was interesting though, because I wanted to see where they were going to take it. And I'm glad they took it where they did take it because it made for two really unique and really cool armies that have never really been seen before. I'm in a sort of a disadvantage here between um, Kevin and Jackson, because I'm in truth, quite ignorant of the, of the sort of history of the brother Mark. I've sort of come at them from a purely sort of aesthetic perspective, so I I can see um, I can see how they've evolved, and 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 I, and I can also see that it's there's been some really sort of cool creative decisions made as to how they're going to progress, and and this decision to split them out into two separate factions again is has allowed you to sort of lean hard into one side or the other, so that people have always got a home um, to land on. Um, but at the moment, it's sort of there there is obviously a sort of question as to. Um, where you go from there, though, have they sort of drawn themselves into a bit of a corner in terms of how they take the law on further with them? For me, coming from the the old school Bretonian way, I was of two minds. Logically, it makes sense. In order to push that narrative and to make change and to threaten the world, the Brother Mark had to, if not be destroyed, had to be broken, right? In order for them to, like, for the abyssal demons to spew out and do all those sorts of things. And so if you were to ask me in public how I would say it, it's like, oh, it's good. It's great. I totally support these changes. Like, I get it. Awesome. But, you know, for for my crew, like, uh, I'm, a, I'm a war king from Cape Cod, right? Um, like, inwardly, I was freaking out because it it hit too close to home at to, at what GW did to the Bretonians, right? Which was, yeah. hey, man, yeah, hey, cool. Here's a couple of lines about your faction and boof, gone. Bye, you're dead. Here's some rules that you'll you'll use, but clearly, uh, right? And I, and I know it's just a game and I know all games change and it's inevitable, but you know, you pour your heart and your soul into something for years and years and then it's just suddenly taken away. It, it was rough, but I think what really got me through is is mantic itself i think mantic is really responsive and cares deeply about its player base and about people the people who support it and so a lot of the time it was like yeah they they have an idea they know what they're doing and clearly it came out with these two really cool armies and i'm so glad for it and it just reinvigorates me and and really doubles down on how lucky we are to be a part of such a community it was a period, though, of uncertainty, right, guys? I mean, as of this comes out, they literally narratively wipe out the Brotherhood. And there's a period of time where, you know, you still have the rules, but 
you don't know what the future is going to hold. And so, you know, that Clash of Kings 2018 and 2019 come out and the Brotherhood are still in it. So I was like, okay, take a deep breath. They're still in it. It wasn't until Uncharted Empires 2019, that's when we saw the Order of the Brother Mark and Order of the Green Lady and the Brotherhood as we knew it is dead, but there, there's this next version of them, which allowed a split. It's a faction that keeps giving, though. I, I think we're not at the end of this story yet. I don't know what's next for them, but I, I think it's cool. You know, they have this narrative and this arc. And honestly, it's original in the sense that I don't think any of the other Mantic armies have had this kind of journey. You're on the, the precipice of destruction. You fall over the precipice and then, hey, let's regroup and, and let's find, you know, uh, relief with other armies or other nations in 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 Panathor, like in the case of Brother Mark with Basilea, and then kind of uh, hope springs eternal, right? Back to Kevin's point, though, they are still pretty angry, a narrative thread that they're still pulling on. So probably a good time to bring up some of the questions we got about the army and about your motivation to play it. But we'll start with a question with, from Chase Thompson with a question he said, uh, with Basilea as an option, what are the reasons I should choose Brother Mark instead? What makes them stand out and are they viable competitively? I've only seen one guy play them and his mom paints his army for him. I don't know who <laughs> oh, no, he's what talking about. I don't know who he's talking about, but I think he should be a tad bit more respectful on whoever he's talking about. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Chase. I guess I guess I'll start for for me, my motivation to play the army, like I said, uh the real the real turning point for me was that god awful Basilan formation. It is I know some people who run uh, Sisterhood Panther Lancers, but I don't think I've ever seen any Basilan run the formation. Maybe it's because it's not useful at all. Because, I mean, it gives them what? Fury? Is that what it does? It gives them Fury? Nobody ever runs it, so I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. So, But then you take a look at the Brother Mark list. You're like, oh, oh crap. Here's a badass dragon, and here's a big old, and they all have brutal, and the dragon gets Cloak of Death, and that the Cloak of Death is huge, and it plays into uh, the role I use the army as in. I really like the formation, and I really like the Order of the Abyssal Hunt, and I like the fact that you can kind of go in a more spammy option with the Valaine and still be grounded in what Basilea originally was, and that was just a, a super heal army. So, I mean, you could still... Go off and have, like, I know somebody at Masters took hordes and hordes of Bowman, the lame uh, penitent Bowman, and still had, I think, a couple Phoenixes and a couple of Priests back there just throwing heal so make sure they don't die. So it's still Basilea, but it's got a twist. And that, that's what makes, uh, that's what makes Steamless fun is the fact that they're, they're different, but they're still kind of grounded in that same concept of the Master list. Jed and Kevin, neither of you guys played Basilea. So you're kind of coming at it to di from a different perspective. I mean, I mean, certainly from my perspective, um, Basilea have never really had um, the sort of thematic draw for me. So it might be that I would look at the list and go, God, why am I playing Brother Mark when I should be playing um, this consistently speed 10, speed 9 list that would be far more successful than the list that I'm running at the moment? And that there might be some truth to that. But, but really, I just... It's it's the whole package with the um with the brother mark. Like I say, the Valain um sort of synergy with all the sort of keywords and the interactions between the characters and things like that. I sort of looked at that and just felt that was something that I th thought could work really well. And I liked the idea of there being a sort of a legitimate trash matter in um in sort of a human faction that could rival the likes of sort of goblins and and ratkin and all that kind of stuff. So. 
I actually played Basileia for uh, for a year when <laughs> the Brotherhood died, actually. And and what I found was I really didn't enjoy its particular style play. And that's no, you know, uh, disrespect to anybody who is a Basileia player. It felt very rigid. It didn't like each unit felt very. You could feel the um, rectangularness of it, and you had to be very careful of getting flanked. As opposed to like a brotherhood, which felt very fluid and movement heavy. Um, as far as why I would say the motivation, and I'm so sorry to come back to it, but it, it really is the fluff. I mean, working are all about like the, the background stuff. I don't know if you've ever been to um, the Orktown GTs, but every table has like a page of fluff about what's going on and where, where things are going and what's happened here. And, and for me, when I play the game, it's not just playing the game. It's also being able to look at it and seeing that narrative. And I think the brother mark, to your point, Rob, to everybody's, really has a, a very deep layered narrative that makes you feel makes you feel it every time you play right because they're getting pulled in so many directions and the the obvious trope one is right is that they're oves against the the abyss right they're they're fighting against the demons and oh my gosh the demons you can never kill a demon they'll only just they're waiting and lay wait and they'll come back at some point which is a thing and it's a very common one but when you add that break in the brotherhood that's a deeper layer. That's a deeper, like intrinsic stress. And if I could put my brother Mark Helm on for a second, just just to tease my later bro players out there, you guys broke your oaths, man. Right when push came to shove at the at the very you know very moment where we needed you most, you kind of gave it up and said, "Oh, I'm going to give up the eternal watch and I'm going to go hang out in the woods." Right, like we're the we're the guys who are still here, who are still doing the thing that they've done for like a thousand years. And if you add in that one last piece is, you know, those two stresses add up to the third, which is we've kind of had to sell our own souls to keep this going. And we've had to sell our souls not to like like a devil, but to an angel, right? Basileia. And it's their gold that helped rebuild, you know, the Eternal Watch, rebuild the fortresses, put like weapons in our hands. And that came at a price, right, of basically getting absorbed into them. You know, and I'm going to put the, put this out here again. Like, it, it kind of has that high, old high elf feeling. Like every time somebody dies in your group, that's hundreds or thousands of years of history. And when somebody dies in Brother Mark, you're one step closer to the precipice again. And so, to be part of this particular faction means you are fighting for your very survival, which gives every game kind of its own flair and its own like passion that you don't normally see in in others. It's, it's kind of like a the last of the Mohican type of vibe. Like you're the final line that stands between you and quite possibly the extinction of your faction. So you're going to do whatever it takes. And I think it, I think they display that really well with the uh, units and everything the way they do that. But we got a question from Sterling, you know, asking about the differences narratively between Bas Basileia and, and and Brother Mark. And you know, if you ask me, like, what's the what's the stick for Basileia? You know, the, they're the Inquisition, right? They're they're so good they're evil right they're intolerant and you you can certainly question their motivation right is it really just for the is it really for the good of panthor or for themselves a subset of them is this brother mark army which kevin you eloquently put you know, they're the last line of defense they're altruistic because obviously if they were just worried about themselves they would stop the hunt right and they would stop the watch and just move on and follow their lady bros into oblivion and go hide Right. But no, the brother Mark are still out there fighting the, the abyss, which it's ebbed and flowed in Panathor, who the big bad was. 
But at the end of the day, it's always the abyss. I know the Twilight can had their you know have their uh, moment in the in the in the sun, but it'll wane and the abyss will kick back up. I think the analogy of the Brother Mark being very like the sort of Game of Thrones Night's Watch sort of comparison is quite a good analogy because it it is that sort of sort of stoicism and sort of grittiness and sort of they're doing the right thing for the right reasons but they're they're not going to be happy about it basically whereas i think the uh, basileia side of things is just very kind of it's quite high gothic almost um in terms of its its sort of religious focus quite sort of there's clearly sort of inspirations from sort of there's a there's a sort of a vatican-y kind of vibe to them as well which which i think is is something that's distinct I just think they're fundamentally just very different factions now. And, and I don't think, despite sharing a huge amount of their list, I think they've got a really different feel to them across the board, really. They're the salt of the earth, right? You don't you don't get the angels. You don't get all the exotic things. You just get dudes on horses. You got dudes on foot. You got dudes who shoot bows. And you just have to keep going with it, right? You got to make it work. You know, let's call a spade a spade here. Like the brother Mark always have that whisper in the corners of our communities of like, well, are they still going to say, are they going to literally merge away? Are they going to kind of fold into Basilea? Like you're literally living what this fantasy faction is actually doing, right? There are specific units that are polar opposites from each other, from each. So you have the Osworn Guardian. Our in brother Mark, and there's a they have a counterpart in the abyss that is it basically the exact same thing they are they're the infantrymen that are without shields or the crush one i mean they're elite they have all this stuff but it's just so cool to see how it doesn't have to be specifically just the brother mark but it you could see their interactions with other armies because you're like oh hey that looks familiar because that's in my army so that that kind of builds up the lore is like yeah it makes sense there were two there were these big battles going on but now you that you see they have these two regiments that are exactly the same like they definitely clash or something and they translate well into the table with their fishes and their crushing strength i mean they're there to fs up like that's that's what they do piggybacking off of jackson there like they play bloody Right. Like, and I don't know how, and I don't know how to better describe that, but like usually good guy armies are kind of defensive or they're shooty and, and you know, they're, they play nice. Like if you play brother Mark, right. They're in it. And I mean, they're like elbows deep in blood. It's like fighting in a phone booth. That's exactly right. And if you really dig that thing, I mean, this is the army for you. You really should like give it a try. Cause that's the only way that you're going to win. You, you, you can't stay away. You've, you've got to get into it and all your units will, if you win, will still have wounds on them. Right. <laughs> that's it. Like if you look at, if you look at this, even just from a palette perspective, if you look at the sort of the average Basileia or Basileia army across the table, and you see the sort of the whites, the purples, the reds, and you look at most Brother Mark armies, it's just black, browns, everything like that. It's just really kind of aesthetically, there's a whole very different vibe going on. But in terms of play style, Kevin, I completely agree. It's it's really, it's, it's whether you play knights heavy or infantry heavy, grind is essentially the central premise really isn't it it's get in the middle stay in the middle and keep going and hope that you're still alive at the end of it really and just throw more bodies at the at the problem you guys have got me chomping at the bit to make a brother mark army now nick brooks does ask what direction do you think would be ideal for the lore to go i'm happy to take this one um first because i think i've put a post up in fanatics at one point about this notwithstanding the sort of night's watch point that i sort of alluded to earlier there's a kind of a sort of 
crusade kind of quality to the to the faction. Um, and I think th- there's only one sort of named character, um, and it'd be really nice to see a sort of a penitent kind of almost prophety type character, some kind of Joan of Arc type figure that I think would be a really cool kind of idea to sort of um, lead the sort of the lane element of the force rather than just be a portion of the army that does what it's told by the sort of higher ups. I think that'd be a really cool kind of direction to move the lore into. Okay, so I think there's two ways they can go with this. I, I think I I always thought it'd be really cool if they took a like an exiled angel and they made it a figure. So it'd be it'd be a unique it'd be like a living legend, you have like a name or something, but it'd be an angel. And it's an angel that got exiled from heaven and Brother Mark's like, Hey, how's it going? Come over here. Or another as far as like a lore standpoint, I kinda want them to become like an anti hero. Yes. We know what we're doing, but we we may be taking it a bit too far, but it's for the greater good. And I want them to think that they are doing good, but they may be taking it a little bit too extreme because I, because like you said, they are not Basileans. They'll, uh, they're the best at what they do and what they do isn't pretty. Like they are, they're nitty gritty. They're down. Like, like Kevin said, uh, like fist deep in blood. I mean, this is, this is what they do. And I kind of want to see them take a more drastic approach to it. So, like, there's, uh, so you worship, like, we'll kill all the demons. Well, maybe we'll kill all demon worshipers, and maybe we'll kill the families of the demon worshipers, and maybe we'll just kind of ex- expand exponentially on that until they're not necessarily the big bad guy of like the next the next story arc, but they are a force to be reckoned with, and they power up with, like, say undead or some some force that they are willing to disregard like the crimes that they did if it helps them achieve their goal that's kind of how i want it to to go jackson there's a weird kind of like rorschach type quality that you're mentioning there in terms of yeah moral absolutism and all that kind of stuff they know where the line is and they're happy to go across it if they need to yes yes i would say combine the two ideas and you get the red crusade right like i mean there's there's that whole fluff about them about, you know, you have to dip your hand or you put the sign of the cross or whatever in red on your hand to show that you're you're going off on that. And there's really not been a lot of units or anything that really helps support that in game. I mean, if you take that and you keep running with that, like there's so much potential for it to continue to make a, a, a unique army. And, and what really reinvigorated me for like the brother Mark is what is it? Sir Roderick Demon Bane. Yes, dude. So cool. Right. He's just angry and, and everything that he does and all his rules and all his background and, and to have that kind of spread out across to all your points, it, will make you have a, an, an army that is its own and can you can create units that support that. Because um, still right now, like I still feel like our Valens are still a little peasanty, and I and I, I think they need to be a little bit more angry, distraught people because they've lost so much. And I kind of pushed this unit, I don't know, a couple of years back when this all happened, is like they literally carry like pieces of the lost, you know, eternal watch with them, like parts of the tower on a wagon as a reminder of what they lost to inspire them to greater, you know, actions of your heroism or barbarism, whichever way you want to take that. And maybe like the inclusion of even more excuse me, of more fury uh, across the army would kind of be cool to really align to that idea. Good point bringing up Sir Roderick. When I think of Sir Roderick, 
Any of y'all, I know Rob probably has. Any of y'all play Doom? Y'all ever played Doom? Of course, come on. Uh, yeah, exactly. I had to make sure, but that's that's what I think of. Like, I want, when I play Brother Mark, and I see my dude high up on a dragon, I am picturing the Doom Slayer on a dragon. Like, medieval Doom Slayer, he's here to, he's here to, like, do whatever it takes. I mean, just kill, slaughter thousands of demons. I mean, this dude is the crap. Like he is, he is the guy that you go to. It's like, hey, I need a demon killed. Like, psh, all right, I'm on it. So that's that's kind of the direction I want them to take it in. So, yeah, I don't, I don't want to make the Bretonian comparison too harsh, uh, too harshly. But I think the the sort of Grail relic reliquary, if that's how you say it properly, uh, where you sort of got uh, sort of pilgrims essentially sort of supporting the knights as they sort of go off on these great crusades i think there's some there's some um there's some way to leverage that as a decent story arc sort of going forward i think there's a great opportunity in 2024 for this army though because i don't think the other piece of the story has been told they've told us a story about them falling into the abyss well what happened to those guys that fell into the abyss that's such a great point do they come back are they redeemed did they escape and now they have this like crazy demonic unit that is made it out of the abyss are they going to show up in the forces of abyss refresh maybe there's some kind of like evil brother mark i don't know there's just there's a lot of great stuff here and uh the sky's the limit i feel like they could pull like a jarvis type deal where uh, you know you have this abyssal army they have moral code is the thing not good abyssals but maybe neutral What's the army of the dead from Return of the King that Aragorn brings back? So like that, redeemed soldiers, exactly. So I think they could do something like that with the Abyss. Wait a minute. So you could you can connect this by bringing in the Ranger Swain, right? Ooh. Like because that guy is all around. Oh. He could go into the Abyss and could bring back these guys, these changed dudes, right? Oh my gosh, how cool would that be? I hope Mantic are listening here. Yeah. Oh, oh goodness gracious. Oh, we solved it. Start <laughs> taking notes, Rodney. Well, that's awesome. Well, we're going to take a quick commercial break on their side. We're going to get into the main topic. We're going to get into the main part of this discussion. We're going to go unit by unit. So we'll be right back. This is Skullface. I'm the Great Con. And this is Rico Radisquico. And we're the War Kings. And you're listening to Counter Charge. Yeah. Welcome back to Countercharge. And next up, we're going to get into the unit by unit breakdown. Let's get into this army. The alignment is good. Good is in air quotes there because certainly they're bad when they need to be. Uh, their special rule is the Aegis Fragment. The unit has Iron Resolve plus one. When this unit's Iron Resolve is used, the unit Aegis Fragment is then destroyed. It cannot be used again. And a unit cannot have more than one Aegis Fragment at a time. Um, let's just talk about the Aegis Fragment. It kind of connects you back to Basileia, but does it fit the theme? In my mind, Iron Resolve is like divine intervention, keeping you alive. When I think of the Brotherhood, I think of more of that, that gritty human army that just, all right, we lost five more, but we're going to keep going. We don't need God. Yeah, we, yeah, we don't need our celestial divine intervention. We can do it. That being said, Jackson, I'm sure you use this tool in the game, right? Yes. Oh, my Lord. Yes, it is so good. I don't at all. I I I don't use um, the Age of Fragment at all. I mean, forgive me. The the exception I think is on characters. I don't know why, but for heroes, I think it's got more pull. Um, but most of the the way I tend to run the faction, there's so much heal and nerve generally in the faction that I just don't feel the benefit of of five points of uh, of um, a bit of extra iron resolve on the first time you have to use it. It, it, it doesn't. 
I might use it if I've got a couple of points spare, but I think I'd rather have a blade of slashing on a on a hero rather than have iron result uh, rather than have the Aegis fragment on uh, a general unit. It's not to be used by itself. So one thing I will do is I'll run the formation and take the dragon and give him Aegis of the Yellow Eyes. So now he's got Iron Resolve 2. Now when you throw on an Aegis Fragment, that seems a pretty like potent healing factor. Like, ah, oh, crap. Well, goodbye Plink damage because now, I mean, you shoot at me once, I'm healing three points back. I mean, if it's first turn shooting, uh, heck, I'll screw the dragon up and he'll heal three and maybe a Phoenix or a Priest that's coming up behind him will throw another heal. So it's just like... It's it's that extra point. I'm not gonna throw it on a. Uh, I'm not gonna throw it on like a, a horde of spearmen or like a regiment of knights. I'm not gonna like like you said. I'm not gonna waste five points on that. But most definitely, like my dragon. The dragons. I think this would be the only one that I think to use for Aegis fragment. I think maybe I split the difference. Um, I I definitely put it on the dragon because I think that just absolutely helps him in every single way particularly when he gets the shots in i will put them on really important expensive units like uh the order of the order of the abyssal hunt right like right okay just because those seem to take a few shots in the first turn or two or when they get into combat and you know if they they take a few and you you really need to keep those going uh but to actually uh, the point i i thought they would get like like a, a D3 to hit or to wound kind of thing, like because of that anger of them keep on, uh, keep on fighting. But it, this is, this is still a, a really nice little uh, item. What uh, the dictator for Basileans, he's got an ability. I don't know if y'all know it, but the ability is you got to pay extra points for it, but it's called iron discipline and you could target a unit. And what, what they do is, they take D3 points of damage. So it's like I'll throw it on a my my regiment of Order of Abyssal Hunt. So they'll take D3 points of damage, but then they'll gain Vicious and they'll gain Self-Inspiring. Like I think I think that's closer than Aegis Fragment could ever encapsulate with Order of the Brother Mark. Because like, you know, they're taking they're taking hit points, but they're fighting through it. They're like a flagellant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Absolutely agree. So, Great point. So I think I think if they did something more like that, that'd be more on point with Brotherhood than necessarily the Aegis fragment. They also have a special rule called the Gauntlet in uh, units that have that that uh, special rule or have this rule. Uh, they have duelists. Which units, guys, have the the rule for Gauntlet? Uh, it's most of the um, foot characters. Oathsworn has it as well. And we mentioned it at the top. This is a theme list of Basilea. So in this list, you get access to a bunch of Basilean units. And those would be, you know, the men of arms, uh, men of arm crossbows, spearmen, the paladin knights, the ogre palace guard, the heavy arbalast, the phoenix, the, the bearer of the holy icon, the dictator, you know, a bunch of things. But what's interesting is I don't think those are the units that make you think about Brother Mark. No. Like no. That's, those aren't the units that, that, that scream Brother Mark. It's the special stuff that you can take. Uh, that, that that's the special sauce to the army. Well, let's get into our first unit. We'll start with men at arms swordsmen. They are what you think they are. A classic swordsman unit, you know, uh, speed five, melee four, defense four, and they come in troop regiment and horde with 10, 12, 25 attacks, 9, 11, 13, 15, 20, 22, nerve, and 70, 105, 175 points. They have iron resolve and have the option to upgrade with a veteran command, increasing the unit's waiver value and route value by plus one for five, 10, 15. And they do now have in the latest clash of Kings have the options for agents fragment for plus five points. But let's just talk about swordsmen. Are you guys using these guys? So I, th I think the difficulty swordsmen have, um, 
and it's the same with a lot of similar units in other factions, is that for 10 points more, they can be spearmen. And it just seems like such a good value upgrade compared to um, what else you might do. I mean, in terms of the unit generally, it's a nice profile with um, unit strength three for 105 points. It's a really good sort of scenario piece. But like I say, just for 10 points more, you can get Spearman and they're so much better. 10 points for Phalanx is a no-brainer because you're getting more attacks as well. And then the other thing is, if you want to run them as kind of like the, uh, the chaffy units, there's no need to. Like, there is no need to run them because you have Vilain, you have Penitents that do just as good, and Penitents have crushing strength. I mean, you're not using these guys to punch, obviously. I mean, they're there to take up space. They're there to, I mean, if you're running them in troops, I guess chaff. If you're running them in regiments, definitely, like, on scenarios like Control or uh, what's, what's that new one, that the Hold the Line? Definitely mm-hmm. on scenarios like that where you can just kind of scoot them over that last turn. You can keep them in that back corner, turn five rolls around. You can double move them, turn six, and get them over that line to score that extra victory point or whatever you need. There, There's just better options, I feel like. And I think for like the men-at-arms as a whole, their, their big issue is a little bit of an issue of the list with the Valen rule. The units that were chosen to uh, uh, to give rallying to Valens don't really work very well with men at arms like the what is it the the chaplain augustus right like that's that's a huge point sink and you're probably going to put him next to a much more important unit like your monster you know paladin slayers than a a a horde of men at arms because they're just not offensive enough and so i i think if we want to see more men at arms whether it's swordsmen swordsmen or spearmen that blend rule that supportive rule needs to be more uh, prominent and, yeah. I, and I keep pushing the idea that these guys always look to their knights. So why don't knights like, cause uh, a rallying to Valens, right? Like a, uh, a regiment of knights should have rallying for any Valens near them. Or a horde of knights could give rallying too, which then kind of inspires others to want to take hordes of paladin knights because you never see those. Kind of a change that I think would be good is to reword the was it the chaplain uh, not not Augustus but the other dude who gives rally keyword Valane. Uh, I think mm-hmm. it'd be cool if we reworded him to uh, what's the keyword here for uh, keyword men at arms and then have an upgrade for penitents to upgrade them to give them keyword men at arms. So it's kind of it's kind of like. They're no longer just this angry mob. They're kind of more sophisticated, kind of militiamen esque. They're they're still they still don't hit well, and they still have crappy defense. But now they're kind of you know part of the men at arms spearmen because that's what men at arms are. It's just just like hey, we need you come out here and fight for us. That's what they are. So I think it'd be cool if we changed the rule for rally on the chaplain, and then gave it maybe an upgrade to penitence. So, so that way. Not only would the men at arms swordsmen and spearmen benefit from this more, but they would also, I mean, it would also give you good reason to take them alongside penitents or take them over penitents. So I, I'm not sure I necessarily agree um, on that one, just because um, obviously the men at arms guys do have um, the Valane keyword anyway, so they already benefit from the sort of the fury buff and things like that. But I think sort of thematically, I think it's better that the chaplain is the sort of the guy, the sort of the demagogue who's whipping up the sort of the small people into a frenzy. Do you know what I mean? I think that um, it's it's possible that the sort of the more disciplined soldiers who are probably more 
um, they've got their head in the game a bit more, um, might not have that same reaction to the sort of religious fervor that's being sort of pushed forward. Um, and, I, and I quite like the sort of the synergy between um, those characters. And I think adding the Valene keyword to, to the men at arms, I think was a positive, positive decision. Oh yeah, they did do that. Sorry. I haven't played with those guys for a long time. I play with, I play with like the heavy guys. Yeah. I play with the heavy yeah, guys. There's no, there's no obvious sort of place for them. I think, I think in the list, I, I think, I suppose do we universally agree though that the veteran command upgrade is a pretty good value upgrade for all of yes, these yes. Um, men at arms? Yeah, guys. especially yeah. how they drop the points overall. So you're just yeah. going back to the norm. Yeah, exactly. And we should mention, you know, men at arms spearmen—they're exactly like the swordsmen. The only difference is they have more attacks at 12, 15, and thirty, uh, and their points are seventy-five, one fifteen, and one ninety. But they have all the same options, but they also have phalanx, which is you know that added in mm-hmm. with the. Yeah extra um attacks is probably uh makes the swordsman kind of obsolete right like if you're gonna take men at arms you just take spearmen right i i just want to point out something jackson said and i i I, i'm the same way he said i play heavies right like and i play heavies as well in in these lists and and that's the sadness about the 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 overall master list of this is that they don't synergize yet like the the brother mark should be a combination of knights and footmen, but very often you only get either all knights or you go, all you know, footmen. peasant yep. heavy, right? And and that's that's the sadness here. Like I, I really think with just a few kind of tweaks, you could get that suggestion to kind of bring them together to get a really more authentic brother mark feel. Well, we should get into the next unit, which is the Paladin Monster Slayers. Paladin Monster Slayers, I think the uh, I don't want to say the biggest, but one big thing that they have over Powdered Foot Guard for Basilins is the is the vicious. The vicious is nice. It's very conditional, but if you can get it off, it's nice. But I think the biggest thing is that you could take them in hordes. That is, I don't I don't really run them in hordes, but the fact that you can just kind of speaks to it because we'll see uh, the further down we go with the individuals. I mean, there are certain synergies that play in with rally and stuff like that. And having a what twenty four twenty six defense five horde really good. It's really versatile. It's really uh, with the with the rally, of course. When you stack on uh, the two rallies from two different sources, it's really useful. And uh, of course, you can swap their you can swap their uh, hands out for swords. I don't really do that because I take Osworn Guardians, and then I take one with Bro Strength, and then I take another one that's just naked, so I can cast Bane Chance. So now all of them have Crush One, but I really liked them, and the fact that they have fury, it's it's different. I mean, there there have been some instances where they get shot at and they get wavered, and they don't have that headstrong to mitigate it. But overall, really like the really like the unit. I mean, when they get backed up with uh, rally, they become pretty difficult to kill if you're just throwing in like I've had them survive like tyrant hordes coming off hills and stuff. I mean, they are they are tough. I mean, they're they're tough to chew through. And they're the more elite infantry, right? They hit on yeah. threes. They're yep. defense five. They they have the same attack profile attacks, as the swordsman. They get but their nerve, nerve is better yeah. at, you know, 11, 13, 15, 17, and 22, 24. Obviously, you pay for that, right? 100, 155, and 255 for the horde. But they have a lot of great uh, rules. They have fury. They have iron resolve. And they have vicious against, in melee against monsters and titans. Right, and you mentioned you can drop their defense to four and get crushing strength one. I see these guys a lot. If you look at the, um, if you look at the sort of the, the sort of basic comparison of the uh, foot guard from Kingdoms of Men, 
you're basically paying 30 extra points on the horde for Fury, Iron Resolve, and, and sort of Conditional Vicious, which I think is seems like a, a reasonably good deal. Although it's probably not, it's probably not undercosted. It's probably about right. It doesn't seem like a, a fantastic deal, but um, but yeah, I, I think in terms of actually delivering some some real hitting power, they are they are pretty decent. Um, do you guys tend to um, take that sort of swap for defense four and crush one? Because I almost never do. Like I, I I really want that defense five really. The uh, no, so like I said, I'll take I'll I'll either run two uh, defense five units and then like a horde of spearmen, or I'll run Osworn guardians plus two of the Paladin monster slayers side by side to give uh, and then give one of them uh, crushing with the brew strength and then so and then have a bane channel behind them. So now all of them are crushed one. And the appeal with the Osworn guardians is they got higher nerve and they're fearless. So that kind of I don't want to say that completely makes up for the uh, defense four. But it does help out a lot. So I rarely ever run. I don't think I've ever actually run two-handed weapons, shields. I've never run drop down to uh, defense four either. Uh, but I will admit that I'm actually very terrible at playing Paladin Monster Slayers because I always feel like they're always like playing catch up, right? They're always running after the Abyssal Hunt and all those guys. Or And then when they get there, then they're like, oh, I have to wait and I have to accept a charge rather than attack and and so i was actually talking to like mike uh, mccready uh who also plays brother mark and and he pointed out like that new bearer of the holy icon for brother mark actually really helps them in that you know that anvil-esque because if you put life leech now they're life leech too right or if you put iron resolve uh in their iron resolve two now i mean they're probably getting back every game or excuse me, every turn like three wounds three which wounds is, if you throw behind a phoenix four i mean they are they are the epitome of grindy with that new addition to the standard well, and they have 22 24 nerve which on the horde right that is, All, you yeah know, that's those crazy. are those are good that's a good vet nerve value um, i mean you're paying for it of course, but yeah. It does add to the resiliency. I think, though, Rob, the, the, there's a sort of a theme you might have noticed between sort of Jackson and Kevin and myself is that when we talk about nerve, we talk about what the nerve is, and then we basically add two to it all the time because you're working on the basis that almost every time you're playing these, they're going to be rallied from multiple sources. Well, I think, Jed, it's time for you to take us into the Penitence, which is, I know, your favorite unit. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I think I've given that away, haven't I? Yeah, so um, in terms of the Penitence, they are, um, I think, probably one of the best sort of pound-for-pound pound sort of um, scenario pieces in the game. So you've got um, Regiment Horde and Legion. Uh, regiment is unit strength 2, 12 attacks, 11, 14 nerve, and 75 points. Horde is uh, unit strength 3, 25 attacks, 18, 21 and uh, 125 points, and the Legion, unit strength 4, with 30 attacks, 24, 27, and 190 points, um, and the only special rule is crush 1. Um, they have that sort of slightly um, wider nerve gap between um, uh, waiver and, and, and route, uh, but equally so, as I said before, if you're working on the basis that these guys are going to be rallied from multiple sources, you're generally going to be dealing with a unit that's 190 points and is uh, 26, 29, generally speaking, with a with an inspiring source nearby as well. The amount of units that I've um, taken um, sort of multiple charges from, you might have a, one unit in the flank, two in the front, and they still just stay there and just eat it up. And the, the look on your opponent's face when two phoenixes then heal back half the damage and you're 
holding up multiple hammer units for, for two or three rounds sometimes. They don't do a great deal in response, but the crush really is underestimated, I think, sometimes, especially with 30 attacks. You can spike a roll, a bit of Bane Chant as well if you've got it handy. It really, really does um, add up, and they they I think they outperform their 190-point status, really. They're not they're not your average chaff. They're uh they're the uh the they're not those crybaby skeletons or the uh the sad little weak goblins. No, they're they they hit hard. I mean, they like like Jed said, spike nerve uh, spike dice rolls are a thing and they sometimes if you underestimate it, they'll show you up real quick like especially when throwing in a bane chant. Uh if you do take the dictator um like give them vicious too, because I mean, in the grand scheme of things, if you're taking a legion, uh, which is twenty four twenty seven, three points isn't anything at all. Like up to d so d three points of damage with the dictator to give them vicious and self inspiring, three points is nothing because they'll I resolve it back or they'll just heal it back. It's it's nothing at all, and so now you're talking about thirty attacks, albeit on fives, but thirty attacks on fives. Crush two vicious, pretty potent, especially as you spike a nerve roll, uh, spike a die roll. So here's a question though: like, where do you guys put the legion in your battle line? Because I always find it's really difficult to to move it. You know what I mean? With all these other big rectangulars, uh, right, rectangles. Kevin, do, like, do you want you do you want to know the the answer? You're probably not expecting next to the other legions. Because <laughs> <laughs> this is the unit that has another corollary to Kingdoms of Men. Obviously, this the the similar unit is the militia mob. However, the distinction there are these cost a lot more points, but they they are unlocking and they have crushing strength one, which is the difference. And when I'm making the comparison, I think the comparison on the horde level is very favorable to penance because it's only twenty points more to make them unlocking and have crushing strength one. But what's what's interesting is the legion is thirty five points more. I don't know. Question to you guys: is I, I typically don't run legions. Most elite armies that have legions that I do play, if you can kill a horde, you can typically kill a legion in one turn. Yeah, that's historically. But obviously, you've got iron resolve. There's other, you know, you have rally. I assume, right? Because it has the villain yeah, keyword. Yeah. So I mean, that's. I don't know. Talk to me about legions. So I I take I take two legions in my typical twenty three hundred list, and I sometimes take two legions and a horde in twenty three hundred points. Um, because the, the, you look at some scenarios like dominate or stockpile, and you sort of walk in and just you get into the middle of the table. Um, <laughs> um, you get into the middle of the table, and you just sort of sit there, and you sort of rely on that kind of um, grind sort of approach where you, you you sort of say, "I'm going to sit three phoenixes behind these guys, and you've got three turns left to kill them before I have all the tokens or have all the unit strength." And, and unit strength four is nothing to be sniffed at, especially when you you're backed up by. Um, some really high quality titans that are very maneuverable as well. Um, so they, 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 I find they play scenario very, very well. And because they've got such high nerve, because they're quite big, you might say, oh, well, they think they're easily flanked, and that's probably true. But it's not uncommon for me to get flank charged by by decent units and still not have them break. <laughs> they live a bit of a charmed life in my list, really. I don't, I don't know, Jed, if you do this, but the first thing, I also play orcs. So like the first thing that you put down at the beginning of every game, first legion, second legion, they're throwaway placements. Like you can put them down, you know where they're gonna go, and so you can use them to technically kind of like bait out. I, I guess I, I don't think bait out would be the best word, but you, if you're playing against a like an elite army, they're just they're just throwaway like 
boom, boom, they're there. And now the other guy has to play like his Draken Riders or something if if he's running like a super elite list. I think I think that's exactly it. I don't think you're ever gonna trade 190 points for them. Like you whatever whatever yeah. you commit to them to get rid of them is gonna cost more than the, the penitent legion costs. Exactly, yep. I'm the odd man out here because I I like my Valens to have a bow in their hand. Like so I, I I've actually only rarely played a Legion and uh it this just makes me want to try it uh more often. It's funny actually, Kevin. I just I've just seen your uh your sort of comment in our chat about how my painting hand with the idea of painting multiple legions and hordes. Um, but I think that the trick I found for painting lots and lots of these guys was basically have um, sort of six or seven open pots of contrast paint in front of me. Pick up a model, paint one thing that color, pick the next thing up, paint it another color, and just keep doing it that way. And you sort of get a bit of an assembly line going. I kind of I want to make note with the penitents. Uh, on paper, uh, it's a good point that uh, Jed brought up with the rally. So on paper, it says 190 points for a legion. That's not technically true because you're gonna throw in like like jed said the phoenix you're gonna throw in these these other supporting units and i mean you're gonna do that you're gonna do that anyway with certain with certain units uh like versus uh swordsmen like sword and board or the spears you'll do that anyways but it's it's not to be noted like if you're making a brother mark army don't just expect to throw in two two legions of these guys and be like oh call it call it quits like that's that's not how that works they're gonna need support because if they if they get double charged and they survive they're not living another turn they get double charged and you have say three phoenixes or you have that life leech you have that iron resolve they become super resilient like just absolute tar pits worse than worse than most kind of uh but worse than most kind of legions, because not only are they soaking up all that damage and then they can heal it back, they can also punch you back. So, I mean, 190 points on paper, yeah, technically it is, but also it isn't. You gotta you gotta take in the other factors of the supporting units. Yeah, to to Jackson's point, I although Brother Mark does not have a a proliferation of units, right? Like the undead or goblins, you, you still can't take all your toys, right? You can't take them all. And so if you're going to go legions, you got to know that that is, you're going down a certain path. Whereas like for me, I, I really go with um, a lot of uh, 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 like Sir Roderick and, and heavy right, knights yeah. and that's to support them. You need to take certain other units to help with that. I think that's right though, because you, you do you do want um, you want all the all the individuals, don't you? Like that, I think they really add a huge amount of flavor and variety to the to the faction. Absolutely, it is. Yeah, you need individuals. I mean, each of them each of them does their own thing in their own respective light, and they are so good. Like, there's something there's. Um, so for Basilians, there's a couple of units in there. I was just like, I don't really see any list where I would take this individual. I mean, with Brother Mark, it's you're running spam shooting. Oh, take the uh, take the Paladin Chaplain. Oh, you're running uh, super heavy elite. Oh, take the take the Exemplar Hunter. God, that guy is so good. He's like like a demon hunter on crack. He's awesome. I mean, there's there's an individual for everything, and it's not just like kind of they sh- they get awkwardly stuck in there like a like a weird jigsaw puzzle uh, no they fit in really well and they fit re- uh, they fit in and synergize with the rest of your army so when we get to the uh exemplar hunter uh i'll make i'll make note of it but the exemplar hunter 
runs with pretty much everything with his three given like pass that you could take with him. So he's very effective. He's very good. I like him a lot. Moving on. Can I just add one thing? Is that is that okay here? And that's and that's the idea that the brother Mark actually don't have a lot of square based units, and that's a, a a really important aspect to the game because you can get into a lot of those tricksy, you know, places that you don't charge, see, yeah. right? Corkscrew charge and all that, and so the the actual individuals do that kind of work for you, and so it's really important that you know each of those individuals. I am curious about. Defense three, right? I historically, I've I've played the the defense three units, and I don't know. Like, have you guys had issues where if you place a, a play against an army that has a lot of shooting, they're able to pick these things up? I mean, is are you are you not worried about it? Maneuvering is the biggest thing. Like, if you're going up against that army, and we all know what that army like, that goblin army, yeah, you have to you have to strategically place them. Whereas. You can't you can't turn your brain off with shooty armies because they will get shot off the table if they have even like a a decent amount. Because now keep in mind, glade suckers are now a immediate threat to you because you know they don't have piercing, so your defense five units ain't really gonna work. But now your defense three, so th- they pose an actual threat to you. Hide behind hills if you can. I mean, hide in forest, hide in terrain. I mean, that's. Maneuvering is a big part of running. Those. You say that, but but now you sort of sell me on the legion, right? Like the horde might be able, you you could pick up a potentially pick up a horde in one go with shooting, but you know the legion's just that much harder, and it's sort of like that thing where you're shooting into something that has regen, or in this case, iron resolve and backed up by heal. You're like, if you don't get them, you're gonna you've wasted a lot of effort because they're gonna put it all back like a hydra cut off one head two more come back yeah i think every glade stalker shot that's shot into a pennant legion is is one not being shot at a dragon or a knight we did have a couple comments obviously i think we answered john green's question about you know what do you think of penance but tyler schultz does ask if painting wasn't a factor to be considered would we see penance span lists as the best version of trash meta I tried today to um to to make a brother mark list with lots of penitents in it and I genuinely thought I'd run out of space on the table in terms of if if you if you if you if you're just taking um, sort of Valene support characters and penitent hordes, I don't know how many I got up to, but it was it was double digits of uh, of, of penitent hordes, and, and I, I do think that they could do a lot. But the, but I suppose the difficulty you'd have is in a lot of tournament scenarios. There's a lot of weight placed on kill points, and they just they probably just wouldn't kill enough to, to sort of for it to work. Whereas if you look at some of the other trash methods, sort of like um, if you look at sort of goblins, for example, um, the trash is sort of backed up by sort of heavy shooting or sort of um, war machines and things like that. And, and I just don't think that we'd be able to to necessarily go toe to toe on that side of things. You'd still need something to kill stuff. Yeah, even a point. They they are going to kill some stuff, but they're probably not going to make their points back. And they're defense three, so they will die eventually. And so, in that attrition battle, you're kind of you're probably losing out if you don't have the tools that really go in and smash stuff up. I tend to use them on the basis that you're going to have to use something reasonably good to break them up when you charge. So you're going to have to commit a, a good unit to get rid of them, while my good unit is off doing the same somewhere else. And it's sort of I'm going to hold your hammer longer than you need it to be or, or longer than you expect so that I can sort of commit my forces elsewhere. You've got to commit more resource to get rid of me, I suppose. 
Well, let's get into the ranged units. We'll start with the men-at-arms crossbowmen. The big change here is they don't have the pot shot rule anymore. They're like all the rest of the, the men-at-arms, right? Uh, in terms of nerve and, and number of attacks and whatnot. I mean, I should say uh, the, the difference is that they are range 5 plus and they are unit strength 1, 2, and 3, 8 attacks, 10 attacks, and 20 attacks. And their nerve is uh, very similar to what we already talked about with the spearmen and the swordsmen. And their cost is 100, 130, and 230. They have iron resolve and they have crossbows 24 inches, piercing 1, and they no longer have pot shot. Kevin, I'm going to assume this is not the shooting unit that you would prefer. <laughs> uh, absolutely not. And I was going to say, I was actually going to ask anybody, has anybody ever used men-at-arm crossbow? I, I see Jed shaking his head. No. Well, it doesn't sound like a lot of people are using them. So, Kevin, let's get into the one ranged unit that is seeing the table. Yeah. So the, the issue with the men-at-arms is that you're you're spending the, all the extra points go into, like, the defense or the combat, like, melee stuff. And why would you do that with, with a ranged unit? Especially when you have like the Valen uh, Bowmen, who are basically just you, you take off all the the extra crap on there, and you just have this the, the bare bones of something. And I'm just gonna I, I'm gonna be a little bit weird with my take on this because I don't think people often see them as this. Because when people like look at this, and it's uh, Valen Bowmen really look terrible on paper, right? Like normal human speed, you know, middling range at a five plus melee, <laughs> got a six plus melee. And we got that Valen, uh, you know, defense three kind of going for us. And they fall into troop regiment horde with unit strength one, two, and three, and the normal shooting of eight, 10, 20. And, and that usual Valen uh, Bowman uh, nerve, excuse me, Valen uh, nerve, which is eight, 10 for troops, 1214 for regiments and 1921 for hordes. But what I would say to people is, is that you've got to kind of put aside your initial views of, of units. Like you see Bowman and you think, oh, they just shoot. But it's that special rule, the phalanx, that makes them really, really special in the list. Because I actually see them more as like a as an infantry unit that has the addition to shoot rather than just sitting there and shooting from range. Cause if they're only shooting from range, you're only doing a, a, a few points, but what you do is you take them in hordes, you put them with your, your flanking side, right? Whichever one that's moving up with your knights and they start walking with them. Okay. Now, now why is that? Cause they'll walk uh, five, they'll shoot, maybe they'll do one or two wounds and they'll walk again shoot you know one or two wounds and now they're in that road bump position right like they are in the middle of the field where like your enemy has to get around them or through them and who are usually fighting on the flanks those are units that have nimble units that have thunderous charge units that fly and if they want to come charge you well you've got that phalanx and and, and now you're boned man right <laughs> like it's the Valen penitent kind of thing. You're going to have to throw more points against them if you want to remove them than they're actually worth. And so very often people will then throw their units into it and then put themselves in a really bad position for countercharging or vice versa. They'll be very, very defensive, which allows you to continue to kind of pepper them and start taking out like chaff units and really put yourself in a uh, in a really positive uh, position to take that flank and take the initiative. What do you guys think? I don't run the lane that much. Like I said, I run an elite, but I do see their use with taking regiments of them because, you know, the regiments, I want to add something to, they are not like their uh, Valane penitent mob counterpart. 
where they do not have that that nerve gap that the uh, that the mob does. So they're they're normal and they don't really get wavered that bad as opposed to their counterpart, uh, their melee counterpart. But when you think of like, okay, control, I'm going to set my guys up in the bottom right corner. I'm going to set that regiment there and they're taking it. I mean, what is, what is the ideal person to send after that cheap unit of zombies or that cheap unit of, of skeletons or something like that, that just sit in that back corner. It's a flyer or if not a flyer, like a, like a cavalry individual or some sort of cavalry, something fast they can get there and hit it. Oh crap, they have phalanx. It's harder to hit them. And granted, their melee is terrible, but it's still enough. I mean, out of what what was it? 10 attacks? 10 attacks for a regiment, I believe of what it was. Yes, sir. Yeah, 10 attacks for a regiment. If you have any sort of support behind them, I don't think you will, but I mean, even then, 10 attacks on sixes. There's there's a decent chance of you getting at least one wound on them, one wound on that flyer, and that grounds the flyer. And I mean, and they're still hitting back. And or the best the best thing in my in my opinion was let them know, let your like opponent know, like, hey, these guys have phalanx. And sometimes sometimes I've noticed they'll forget about the stat line. They will not care. Like if they're defense three, if they're defense two, they don't care what how well they are. They see that phalanx and they're like, "Ooh, that's a, like a huge turnoff for flyers." Like, I'm not, I'm not going after them. They have spears, so that's kind of the uh, the appeal with them and taking them in regiments and just kind of placing them in that corner. Plus, they shoot, so I mean, they could be they could be that extra little bit of damage that you need to take over something, or that just that little extra push that you need. Like, oh no, I. This die roll isn't looking so great. Put like maybe one or two wounds on it now from the Belaine Bowman. Like, okay, now this is starting to look better. So they have their uses and they're freaking cheap too, man. For, I mean, they're cheap. I don't think I genuinely ever noticed that they had phalanx, to be honest. <laughs> That's probably why I've never taken them. I just wish they'd probably be a bit too good at this point. But if the, if the, if the regiment was maybe just a few points more expensive and had sort of unit strength three, I think that might, I'd be more sort of keen on them at that point. But, they just sort of don't really fit into my play style, I don't think. You got to think of them more as like goblin spearmen, right? Yeah. With the ability to huck those spears at people and, and they become that horde, that anvil in whatever it is that you need. So I, I normally take two hordes of these uh, in my, my list. I could totally see taking hordes of those because they are cheap and they unlock. I mean, uh, yeah, they unlock uh, and they... They benefit. They have phalanx. That's that's the that's the biggest thing. They're cheap. They unlock phalanx. I'm wondering if they're the only shooting unit in the game with phalanx. The elven sea guard one, whatever that is. But either way, if you're putting them out on the flank, that's where you're going to see stuff with probably see cavalry. So I mean, there, there's there's some some truth to that. Uh, the flip side though is if you have this kind of unit where it's a jack of all trades, where it's got phalanx and shooting, you know, yeah. you're paying for all that stuff, right? And so in some matchups, you're not going to get return on that investment. But you know, I I don't think I think anybody can argue that you're better off taking the crossbow. And I think I think because you know what Jed said earlier, I mean, you're paying for things you don't really need from a shooting unit, which is like higher defense and better uh, fighting in combat. It's like, well, no one cares. If you're fighting in combat, then that means you're already losing. Why would you put these guys into fighting combat? Exactly. You want to take us into large infantry? So Ogre Palace Guard, uh, they're the only large infantry in 
and brother Mark, uh, height three, uh, speed six, melee three, death five, uh, for a regiment, it's 140 points, uh, unit strength two, nine attacks, 12, 14, and then a horde is 235 points for three unit strength, 18 attacks, and then 15, 17. They have brutal crush two and iron resolve. I like these guys a lot, but I find that they get wavered too, uh, too much and too quickly with that 15, 17 nerve. So I tend I tend to run waiver mitigation on them like Chalice of Wrath or uh, Dwarven Ale, just something something to like prevent. Since I play in the south southeast, I mean, you're gonna get shot at. So, but they are they are definitely especially if you're going with the brutal route with the formation. So now you've got I, I usually run two hordes of these guys. So now you got what five units with brutal on them. They hit hard and they they're just they're just a good unit. I mean I think all ogres are very good to a certain extent. And these guys, these guys definitely don't shy away from that. I just wonder thematically if it makes sense. They're here to fight the abyss. I don't think they're looking for help from ogres or angels. No, I, I, th- I think objectively they're a very good unit. Like if you look at any kind of unit with crush two, 18 attacks and melee three, they're, they're, they're a decent, they're a decent sort of hammer unit. But that being said, they, they don't look like they'd have torches and pitchforks and they don't look like they are sort of the last defenders on the edge of the world. So I, I they just don't really have a thematic place in the army, I don't think, and that that might be partly why we don't see the sort of um, the forty mil based individual as well. Uh, sorry, forty mil based character. I say that points value is actually a lie because to Jackson's to Jackson's point, it's not two thirty five. It's actually two fifty because you have to run yes, either the headstrong yes. or the fury on it, and then that limits you from doing like actual other items magical items to help support it and and in that vein for me like I, I get it they're they're very strong they're really nice like in concept but comparison to an order of abyssal hunt i'd rather take an order of abyssal hunt which is basically just as hitty but then i can add in a magical item to do something else the thing that jumps out to me with these guys is that in a brother mark list what do you have that can buff them? Nothing, right? Like, there's no synergy here. There is not a lot of synergy there. Uh, I think the biggest, I think the biggest uh, piece of synergy would be the dictator, because the dictator, dictator kind of goes along with dictator's kind of like a mini ogre palace guard captain. I mean, he's got enough attacks where he could do some damage. Plus, he's got that iron discipline. But I don't think iron discipline works for ogres. Is the thing. That's just for humans, I believe. Right. It's got to have the human keyword. Right. What I was saying yeah. earlier was thematically they don't fit right now because that's not – they should not be Ogre Palace Guard. I think they should be kept in the list, in like the uh, the theme list, but I think they should be renamed and I think they should have like maybe a different keyword. To- or you just leave them in the list and people that are playing Basileia want to come over and play Brother Mark. Yeah. This gives them a head start on a couple of units they already have. Right. Yeah. Long term, this is not a Brother Mark unit. Because I, I really like them. Kevin, you want to get to the the reason why you would play Brother Mark? Yes. Okay. <laughs> and again, this is going to be a, a different take because I'm I'm going to try to persuade you on this because I think most of us in the like Kings of War community, when we talk about like Paladin knights or generic knights, most of people think they're pretty lackluster, right? Like they're uh because they're just knights, right? They're speed eight, melee three, defense five. They come in troops, regiments, and hordes, which have unit strength one, three, four. Uh, with attacks of 8, 16, and 32. And, you know, the normal knight nerves, which is 12 and 14, and 15, 17 on the regiment. And then that 
you know, gobsmacking 22-24 for the Horde. And then they got your normal Basilean kind of special rules with Headstrong, Iron Resolve, and Thunderous 2. And so I, I often get asked this question about, like, knights and, like, why would you use them over, like, Order of the Abyss? Or, excuse me, yeah, Order of the Abyssal Hunt. And that's because most people have the wrong concept when they look at a generic knight. And it's kind of like we set ourselves up for failure here because when we think of knights, we think of like either the fantasy kind of knight or the historical, which are like what, like uh, high armor, uh, high speed that they're trained since they're children. And they're just like the dominant force on the battlefield, right? Like run right through units. Yeah, that's right. Right. And when this unit plays, it doesn't do that. Right when it comes smacking into somebody, and you do a thunderous two, and you do seven wounds, and maybe you don't even waver the unit, you kind of die a little bit inside because you're expecting this this grandiose thing. Very anticlimactic. It is very anticlimactic, but I would I would say it's because you, you've set your your focus wrong on what you expect out of this. What a regiment of paladin knights is is a mobile anvil. Okay, and so what I mean to say is, is that you take this unit of knights, and 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 in the game, you know how like turn one and turn two is a lot of setup, and then there's that one unit that comes in and starts the cascade of all the units jumping in on each other. That's this is roll, because this guy can then this unit can jump in, give a punch, and now it's this threat. Right, that it's like this tick. You've got to pull, or else it's going to be a problem. And because it's defense five, and it's fifteen seventeen, and it's headstrong, and it's iron resolve, it's it's pretty difficult to to remove unless you throw a lot of resource in. And so, why take one of these? Is that it's doing this work for cheaper as opposed to like your other knight unit, like your order of the abyssal hunt. And I would even throw in that a really fun little extra is taking a troop with the skirmisher boots because like now you've got a really yeah. cool, flexible knight unit that gets into all the crazy little corners that people don't expect and has enough a punch to stop things in their track. And and the number of times, particularly talking about ogres, that a troop of these guys has run into a regiment of ogres and wavered them and absolutely caused them to have, like their head explode is, is unmentionable, right? Like, I, I really think people need to give them a chance to take at least one of them. What do you guys think? <laughs> I'm I'm so torn, you know, Kevin, because I I take Paladin Knights because they turn up in the formation. Yep. Um, but before taking the formation, I was um, a real sort of advocate for the Order of the Abyssal Hunt, just because I don't tend to take a horde, so I'm directly comparing regiment to regiment. And for 25 points extra with the Order of the Abyssal Hunt, you get Crush instead of Thunder 2. So you get Crush 1, yeah. Thunder 1. You get Slayer Melee. I appreciate that's situational, but... The, Quite typically, you'll find something to use Slayer against in your opponent's army. And um, Vicious instead of Headstrong, and anything that works all the time is just, to me, preferable over this sort of chance of, of doing something else. Now, don't get me wrong, I, I can I can really see the force in having a regiment of Paladin Knights because when you have the sort of the brutal item, so when they have Brutal in the formation, that they do do a lot of work that you perhaps don't expect. And I've never really thought about using them, as you say, as a, as a sort of a mobile anvil. That's a really interesting way of looking at them but i suppose it's one one of those units or the order of the Issel hunt are are sort of the only real kind of hammer units in the army so you sort of got to take something i think the one thing i do like about 
the knights over the palace guard that we mentioned before, as as your sort of dedicated hammer is, they have access um, to the sort of cheaper end of the more premium items because they're 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 sort of regiments rather than hordes. So you do get some benefit there. But yeah, I just I, I have a real hard time with them because the speed eight I think is the killer. It's just it's just not fast enough. I did an experiment. I ran a horde of these guys. Granted, it was with Basilians, but I ran a horde with them at the Force GT down in Huntsville, Alabama, and they rarely touched anything. Don't get me wrong. I mean, if they touch something, it's like a nuke goes off and it murks anything that gets in its way. Because, I mean, 32, 32 attacks, nothing to be reckoned with. I'm basically picking up all my dice and rolling them with the, uh, the Powden Knights. But I, I see I see where taking a single troop of them would be beneficial. But at the same time, I don't think that would fit very well into my playstyle. I think if I'm going to take a troop of anything that's fast, I'm going to take a troop of those uh, those uh, guys on horses. The skirmishers? Yeah, the skirmishers, yeah. I'm going to take those guys, and if I really need to, I'll upgrade them to the initiates of the Brother Mark. Oh, nuts for a regiment only. Never mind. But I, I take those in terms of chaff because i don't think i I don't i don't think 135 points would be worth it to how much how much is skirmisher boots is it 15 10 points 10 points oh okay so i don't know i don't know it's just it just seems kind of gimmicky with their 12 14 nerve i mean they definitely could get shot off if you don't maneuver them right they are defense five this is true yeah i mean people run lots of knight units as troops in a defensive position right and they do survive to a point i only run them because they're in the formation I mean, that's that's the real reason I run them, is because... I was going to say, because the, the, the points, I believe, work out that if you take the High Paladin on Dragon and two units of Order of the Abyssal Hunt, it's the same points as taking the formation. So you either get all the bells and whistles that go along um, with the formation, but you pay the tax of having the what I would think is, is the sort of inferior knight unit. Um or you take the arguably better knight unit, but you don't get Cloak of Death, Brutal Dragon, which everyone wants, really. Yep. <laughs> okay, so you want to really judge me here? Because I, I will add I will add to my Paladin Knights, and I will take that formation, so they're brutal, but I'll also give the Blood of the Old Kings on them. Ooh. And that's a very rare item, right? That gives elite and vicious first. And, and, and now you have got this, like a nuclear bomb that goes off and has one shot, you know, like named heroes on dragons because you hit them all, you reroll everything. I, I think there's an opportunity here I, to be fair, like the abyssal or the order of the abyssal hunt might be a slightly OP unit, right? And in comparison, it's, it's, it's great. But I think if you're trying to save 25 points here and there, you know, if you take two Paladin regiments, you're now saving 50 points right, that can go yeah. into something else. And we do have a lot of cheap units that, that can really help us out. Might be apples and oranges too, right? Like, I think if you want an offensive unit that's going to smash stuff up, our Missile Hunter are great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could even argue they're the best, one of the best Night Utes in the game, you know, yeah, which, yeah, you definitely know, top five. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Crushing Strength 1, Thunder 1 is always going to be better than Thunder Charge 2. But then the Fury piece of it, and then the built-in Vicious, and then the Slayer, which may be situational, but it's going to come up. They're hitting so, things, yeah. Um, they're, they're, doing, they're doing substantial. Yeah. Whereas the Knights, they're cheaper. 
and you play maybe play more of a defensive role, right? Maybe you run them to screen your abyssal hunt, right? Yeah, you know. Um, uh, one thing I've found myself doing more and more is I am running one regiment of abyssal hunt, and then the formation in addition to that. So you have you have this abyssal hunt, and they are hitting hard, but I'm also running. So I'll run the I'll run the dragon by himself because I mean that's that's kind of what the dragon does is he goes off and he goes his own thing he'll come back in turn five or turn six and uh, make like a a celebrity appearance maybe in a flank or a rear I'm running high chapel Augustus with him because you're talking you're talking about like throwing those extra points in if you throw high chapel Augustus back there so now they are sixteen eighteen which is which is something it's a it's a nerve to be reckoned with. 16, 18 is good, and then heal five, and then the bane chant on top of that. So now you've got these units that can stay in the fight. So they're they're very they become almost very similar to their uh, to their order of forsaken or order of the abyssal hunt. Sorry, I'm thinking green lady uh, order of the abyssal hunt counterparts. I mean, they are they essentially become almost the same thing. I think the difficulty you have, though, with, with the High Chaplain is that um, he's always on foot, and I just don't know how he keeps up with um, with the rest of the army, if, if that's what you're using him for. Like, I, I'm a big fan of him. I think he's really, really good in sort of supporting your sort of core line stuff. But in terms of him backing up um, your, your cavalry, I, I think there's possibly better options. One particular scenario comes to my mind. So we're playing, we're uh, me and this other guy, I do not remember who it was, playing on this table, and I've got on the left side, there's there's like a house that separates, that that's going to divide my core units in the middle from my knights and my cavalry units on the left. And essentially what I did was... Play defensive. I mean, because you're you're talking you're talking about these these knights as like the anvil, and yes, they are an anvil. They well they will take a hit, and they can dish it back out. And so I kind of use I kind of use the uh, uh, high chaplain Augustus as in like all right, they approach. Okay, I'll 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 slowly move up and double move high chaplain Augustus since all he is he's he's only an offensive type of guy. That's that's the thing is like he's he's mainly used for uh, offensive purposes. Like you're, of course you're healing when you're getting plink damage shot at you, but now you're in the fight and he's casting bane chant. He's rallying everybody. Um, I'd like to add too that he hits. He can he can fight something. But uh, essentially what I'll do is I'll wait. Like they'll come up and I'll always I'll always like to pick my engagements. So have I'll I'll strategically pay, place them to where. I'm faster than the other unit on the other side, but sometimes even with that, I'll let them. I'll let them get so close, like they're already in my charge range. So, like, what's a few more inches? And they're trying to get in. Uh, they're trying to get me in their charge range. So I'll just wait it out, wait it out. Turn three comes around, and they think they have the charge on me. Maybe moving some stuff over there. Then I charge in, and so now you're talking about High Chaplain Augustus. He's not so far behind anymore. He's actually right in there with the fight like everybody else. So I do you I use him as a very defensive he's kind of like a tempo the tempo tank essentially like that that wall of guys. They're they're very tempo based like like wait it out, wait it out, wait now we go in. And same thing with the gusts like you got to wait, got to wait, be patient. Okay, now they come and now I can charge you and now it, and usually it turns out very good. 
Well, let's jump in and talk about the Order of the Abyssal Hunt. We, we kind of dance around. We, we mentioned it. It's exactly like the Paladin Knights with the following exceptions. Well, it can't come in a horde is, is one of the big ones, uh, but it has the same nerve value. The points are obviously uh, 150 and 230 for the regiment. But for those extra 25 points of the regiment, you're gaining Fury. You're converting Thunder Charge 2 to Thunder Charge 1, Crush 1. You're gaining Vicious, and you're gaining Slayer, Malay, D3. So offensively, that's great yes you know um they both have the human keyword so i'm sure there's some things that you know um and, and obviously the paladin knights have the paladin keyword and order of the missile has the order keyword does the order keyword have any meaning I don't, I've, I've not seen it anywhere Maybe they'll do something with that, but I don't i don't think it does kevin you want to talk uh yeah i mean about the order of the abyssal hunt i mean it, it's amazing like that there's nothing right? like what what else do you want i, I mean, they they are haha they're the workhorse of this army right uh, they, and that's why and that's why i kind of balance out between the paladinites and this because i always use them as that that punch you're holding and once things get started they come in and deck everybody and then they keep rolling through because you know 1517 still is is a scary nerve set for regiments because there are definitely red, uh, units out there that are designed to pop those in one in one single hit. So you've got to kind of make sure you're in that. But besides that, it, you like my my favorite uh, magic item with this is the uh, the elite, right? The elite magic item, and now you're just re-rolling everything for additional twenty points, right? like. I, it just makes meat men, uh, mincemeat of, of just about everybody. I, I, what else can you say? I mean, elite vicious feels like cheating, doesn't it? I'll reroll all the misses and things like that. Especially in like that 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 kind of awkward stage where you're fighting you're fighting somebody and you you roll you roll your dice. You get a pretty spike uh, pretty spike roll, but there's some ones in there. And you pick it up and you reroll it again. Dude's like, "What are you doing?" It's like, "Oh, did you not read the sheet? They have elite and vicious." He's like, "Oh, okay." Is salt in the wound. I will say one one opponent looked at me and said, "I've never seen an army get to re-roll so many ones before." <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, it, it, you know, it plays mind games with 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 opponents. It's so much fun, yeah. Great unit, I think, in terms of regular knights and not vampires. This is one of the best units. And then let's just round out the the, the, the cab options. You do have the Valane skirmishers. They are a direct corollary for mounted sergeants. In the Kingdoms of Men list, the, the difference is they're actually five points less at both the troop and the regiment, but you also uh, have one pip of nerve less. The difference, though, is that you have the option in this list to uh, upgrade to initiates of the Brothermark regiments only, increase the melee value to three plus, and waiver and route values by one plus for 20 points. But, you know, the big thing here is their speed nine, right? And they are only defense four and they hit on fours, but they're speed nine. So, you know, Jed, your comment earlier. It's funny, we think of speed, and it's all relative. So, like, you look at ogres at speed six, that's actually not that fast. You see knights at speed eight, that's actually not that fast. Or, God forbid, you have one of those units that have speed seven, where you're like, oh, I'm faster than infantry, but I don't really want to charge an infantry. The stuff that that I want to charge is faster than me. So the speed nine does give you some, obviously, slower than flyers, but uh, or most flyers, but... I mean, are you guys using these guys at all? I have one dedicated unit in every list, and it's just there to sort of um, shield the dragon so that they sort of advance up at the double, dragon follows up behind, and then gives him a much wider option um, in terms of what to do on on turn two. But just in terms of the the speed point that you mentioned before, and that I think is 
one of the big weaknesses of the list is, is the access to anything above speed eight that has any sort of meaningful um, hitting power. Um, because as soon as you're out-threatened by something speed nine or speed 10, that thunderous gets ripped away. And, and knights, I think, are very average without the thunder. And certainly the meta in my sort of local area and sort of particularly in the sort of the north of England, there's lots of, or at least in my experience, there's lots of lots of sort of flyers and faster armies that you do struggle with if you speed eight. I'm going to guess here, though, if you are going to take the, these guys, you're probably not paying for the upgrade because, uh, yeah, you're getting an extra pip of nerve, but like you don't really, you're not buying them. To hit things. Yeah, you're not buying them to hit things. Because you only have the Thunder Charge. I think the key with them is speed nine, nimble. So that gives you the ability to to really screen effectively flying units or your your larger, you know, uh, cavalry units that need to keep their thunderous charge in place. But that takes us through the cavalry. We're going to talk about the formation, but I think to talk about the formation, we also need to jump in here and talk about the the high paladin on dragon. The big change here is that it's now unit strength two, like all the rest of the titans. But you know, it's it's a speed ten flyer, melee three, four plus range, five plus defense. It's got 10 attacks, 17, 19 nerve. It's 310 points, but it's got, you know, crushing three, fly, headstrong, inspiring, iron resolve, nimble, tons of rules. Uh, it's got dragon's breath at 12 inches with steady aim, and you can give it spells. You, you can give it the heal four for 15 points, and you can give it an Aegis fragment for five points, which if you're already spending 310 points. You're going to spend the five points uh, for the fragment because why wouldn't you? So in that context, you know, I, I, I mean, are you guys big proponents of the dragon? And if so, is it always as part of the formation? Pretty much always a part of the formation. I mean, it is it is such a good trade off to take the dragon uh, because Brutal and Cloak of Death stack. That's that's the biggest thing is that Brutal and Cloak of Death stack. And it's essentially a guaranteed two wounds on anything. Um. That you get into combat with, he's he's really good. I mean, especially with the the amend to unit strength too. I mean, dragon's breath, dragon's breath can take off chaff if you need it to. You're not really using it that much. It's it's kind of like a late game thing if you're trying to get after some chaff. I I don't think I don't think there'd be like a specific time where you would need to use it unless there's like some crazy rule that gets put in for like tournament like a tournament rule that you can do to increase it or buff it. Very good, very useful, worth worth the points I'd consider. The thing that drives me slightly mad about the, the dragon is that he hasn't got elite. So the exemplar chaplain um, has elite, the exemplar hunter has elite, the exemplar paladin has elite, but the best fighter in the army who's put on the big dragon doesn't have elite, and it drives me mad for some reason. <laughs> I just wish he would have it. I'd, I'd happily pay the point. Well, when you only have 10 attacks... You got to make every hit count. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Have, have you ever ridden a dragon before? It is really difficult to swing that sword while you're riding that thing, right? It's like nine attacks from the dragon, maybe one or two from the guy riding the dragon. Yeah, <laughs> some, some old guy on a, on, a, on a big dragon, or, or is it the case that he's just holding on for dear life, and that's why uh, why he can't fight as well? I'm going to play devil's advocate just because I want to hear your thoughts here, because I'm looking at the total formation costs. It's 50 extra points. Mm-hmm. You could technically take those 50 points, divide it by you know, two for 25 points, and take your Paladin Knights and turn them into two more units of Order of Abyssal Hunt. And you still have a Dragon, and now you have four units of Abyssal Hunt. Why the formation, then? Yeah, and well, that's exactly what David Musgrave is asking. Is the formation worth it for a Cloak of Death Dragon as Abyssal Hunter just better cavalry units than Paladin Knights? Unless you want the Horde option. It's the total points dependent. 
I think the formation gets better and better as the points of the game get higher and higher because the cloak of death comes in more into play, right? Like uh, over in Orktown GT, the uh, uh, every army list is twenty six hundred points. So yeah, so you know he he has sat down amongst and caused six wounds just by sitting in front of or amongst the uh, the enemy and doing that two three times in a uh, in a game that racks up a lot. But you know, smaller points totals you might not be able to see that worth. I sometimes look at this and, and sort of think that um, I'm sort of conflicted, but. It's the idea of having a dragon who will definitely do two extra wounds every turn, and I, and I think and I think that's that for me is the sort of the the big point. And obviously, cloak of death is great when you get it more in the mix and sort of um, are contributing on a sort of a, on a wider level. Um, but if you like, how much would an item be that caused two wounds every time? Do you know what I mean? It's it's a really sort of valuable commodity. But I do um, to David's point, I do. Uh, consider the uh, formation a bit of a tax. Like you, you, you get the the less good knights for getting the really good dragon. He's got almost everything that you'd want a dragon to have, um, apart from obviously elite that I just whinged about a moment ago. I think you honestly have to look on it as like a synergy level. Like taking it in a phase formation is good, but get, I get y'all's point. Like so, so what I'll do is I'll run an ancient phoenix and then I'll run my two hordes of ogre palace guard. That significantly increases the synergy because now I've got, what, five brutal units and two sources of Cloak of Death. That's very dangerous to get up into combat, especially when you throw in the the grindiness of all of it. And now uh, Phoenix is throwing out Radiance of Life and Cloak of Death. And so it's just a super grindy, like everything grinds to a halt, but you're still taking that damage. I think I think if you're not running the Ancient Phoenix... First of all, what are you doing? It's so good. <laughs> but I don't think if you're running the Ancient Phoenix and you're not running over Palace Guard, I don't think it's it would be the best to run. Because like like y'all said, there's better options. Like why run that when you can run the uh when you can run the Order of the Abyssal Hunt, which is just as good, if not better, if it's not playing into other other synergies. So I think you have to take into account the synergies that it plays along with, which is what I do. And we should probably mention what's in the formation. One high paladin on a dragon who becomes Sir Roderick Demon Bane for 40 points extra. And then two regiments of paladin knights that become the defenders of righteousness for plus five points each. All the units in this formation gain the brutal special rule and Sir Roderick gains cloak of death special rule. So the formation costs 50 points. One of the things that screams out to me, though, is now if you take the fragment, <laughs> you're before even artifacts, you're sitting at 350 points. For a unit strength two unit. And I'm like, okay, 350 points. That's a lot. So I don't know. You know, I, I think there is a synergy there. You know, if you play it well and you can use those because you got the brutal in the, in the cloak of death. I mean, that's the nature of taking a very expensive unit, right? Like we, like we said, like we're picking it. And I always like compare it to like the carrier tactic, you know, like the Navy, you have a carrier in the middle and you've got to set yourself up to protect that carrier because it's everything to you in the military. And if you lose that, you, you've lost the ball game. So, I mean, with, with that, Kevin, though, do you find yourself taking items on these um, formation units because I certainly do like I, I sort of look at it that I've got these knights they've got brutal and I've got to give them something that's going to get them over the line so that they are successful in breaking whatever they charge and because I always look at that sort of um, 
Thunder 2 as a real hindrance. You've, you've really got to break what you hit first turn, ideally. Um, so I always try and emphasize that as much as I can. Yeah, so I, I will put the Blade of Slashing on the, the High Paladin uh, on Dragon, because that is like a, a poor man's elite, right? Uh, I also do that that Blood of the Old King on one of those units, and then I also put the Brew of Strength on the other Paladin Knight, because then you make a poor man's, what do they call it, Honor Guard in the Rodea list, because that's basically what it is, right? Uh, instead of 18 attacks, it's 16 attacks with Crushing Strength 1 and 2 Thunderous, at about similar points cost. So you, you can make it work. It's just, again, that's where you're throwing your points in, that you're going to make a list around that core, that core concept. In today's game, with the cheaper phalanx, is it a law of diminishing return here with with things that have a lot of thunder charge? I'm assuming that an all-night list is not an option. You've got to back these guys up with some form of infantry. you, you got to think about them in the sense that they're going to get bogged down in combat. I mean, they're not just running through things like uh, Frostfang are or like Tyrants are. They're not They're not running through them. So what you got to think about is they're essentially better hitting uh, first time, like first combat, better hitting infantrymen. And so you and, and if you look at them like that, it opens up a whole new perspective of like, well, what do you normally take with infantrymen? Well, you take maybe in this list somebody with Rally. You definitely take somebody with Banechant, maybe a Phoenix. And now you start thinking about them like that. It's like, well... You know, they're not, it's okay to charge phalanx units with these guys as long as you have that support to back them up. Because let's face it, most phalanx units, what they make up for in phalanx, they make, uh, they they lose in necessarily, not nerve, but most likely defense or something along that nature, defense or combat. But once you get past that initial, like that super slimy and uh, speared wall, like first round of hitting, you go into wounds, it's like nearly all of those are going to convert. So that's that's kind of how you got to go into it, as in like, it's okay to charge these guys if you have that support to back them up. I think though, Rob, to, to your point, um, we talked about it with the swordsman versus the spearman. There's so many army lists now where you look at them and go, well, for X points more, I can just make these normal guys spearmen with phalanx. And it, I think that there certainly is more... Um, scope for seeing those units, and I think that does have a knock-on effect on the general effectiveness of of more traditional knight units. I'm also going to add here that I think Brother Mark, since 2023, there is a potential to to set yourself up for success against those units, and that is we do have some pretty good small damage shooting now, right? Like if you do use the longbowmen, if you use your phoenixes, if you use your arbalest, you can at least damage these units enough that even though you have these negatives on your knights, they can kind of come in and still pop them or at least do what you need to do to keep the ball rolling, keep the initiative. Well, let's take a quick commercial break on their side. We're going to get into the Titans. We'll be right back. I'm Tyler Schultz, loser at Vanguard, but countercharger in Kings of Four, and you're listening to Countercharge. Welcome back to Countercharge, and let's get into the Titans. Who wants to talk about Phoenixes? Well, I have three of them in my typical army. Honestly, I think I think the Phoenix is just one of the best um, Titans for the points. I mean, it's 145 points for um, for such a fantastic utility piece, especially now with Unit Strength Two and and sort of nimble and fly. Like I'm sure you guys have experienced the same when you get to sort of turn six, turn seven, and everyone just pivots and runs off to claim various um, board sections in control or go to contest various objectives. They're just so good, and the way I play with the sort of um, grind kind of approach, having um, reliable 
heal five everywhere, I think is just enormously helpful. I have a story about my Phoenix. I run a, I run an ancient Phoenix. I don't really run anything other than an ancient Phoenix because my uh, brother Mark lists are usually elite to begin with. So I don't really have that extra spare room for another Phoenix, but I'm playing cat, but she came down to Tennessee to play at Todd's Nashville tournament, TNT. We were playing. She was playing with uh, her salamander. She has the big old rocket uh, rocket show. Is that the giant's name? The big old giant sal. Yeah, playing with that thing. She had a horde of tyrants. She quadruple charged my phoenix and did thirty nine points of damage, and then snake guided. <laughs> it gets better because the the phoenix has regen three plus. So I healed back. I region back 26 points of damage. Then I radiance the life a point back. So now I'm at what? What is that? 13? No, 12. And then I get all heal five for my priest. So now she's down to seven. But that's that's the big thing about the Phoenix, or especially the ancient Phoenix, is most people think it's just a squishy Phoenix that you can just pop in one go. It is not. You have to put some serious firepower into it, or you got to double charge it with something multi-charge it if i really need it to be if like push comes to shove it is a great chaff unit because it will like if i'm talking like it's it's a nail biter game it's really close i will sacrifice that phoenix because that phoenix i know will like eat something up for a round or two i'm surprised you didn't retire after that particular episode (laughs) (laughs) i'm leaving good game gg we got this and, and, and really, just to, to speak to, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head, right? It's it's a utility piece that we need. It, it, it does anything and everything that sh- that the brother Mark need. And and I think, uh, Jed, that you really spoke to that idea of that we don't have that extreme threat. And that is what historically brother Mark has struggled with. And this at least helps you with it, right? Like, and I and I'll use it through my because of my particular army list and my style as as shooting at chaff. And being height five, it can look over things and go, hey, here you go. That 18-inch range, too. yeah, Right? And you just yes. go, Oop, here you go. Take one or two. Plus, and I'm going to talk about the Arbalest. You know, you add the Arbalest in there, and now it's an automatic waiver, and and you're, you, you've taken the initiative. Like, yep. I, I take two normal ones and have gone pa- back and forth about the Ancient Phoenix just because – no, extra thirty points is is a bit to, to ask. Yeah, it's it's the it's the first thing I think that falls off the list if you're over points for me. I mean, if if I if I've got because I I run three and and typically I'd have three phoenixes with one having the upgrade to the ancient phoenix and um, if I'm sort of getting tight, like I say, that's the first thing that comes off. But what do you think of the um, the reduction from sixteen eighteen down to fifteen seventeen? Because for some reason, I've I found that's been quite decisive in a couple of games more recently. Um, uh, appropriate is the word. Yeah, <laughs> it's really good. And it's, I mean, sometimes I use the Phoenix as a bullet magnet because if I, if I know like playing in the South, uh, playing in the Southeast, you know, by the, like your fourth or third or fourth year playing, like you'll know what takes off a of Phoenix. You'll know what is like potent and you can, you can kind of like math it out. So, I'll sometimes like the Phoenix is here. Shoot the Phoenix. Don't, I mean, don't shoot my Knights. Don't shoot anything else. Shoot the Phoenix. Cause I know you won't kill the Phoenix and then heal it all back. And bada bing, bada boom. My Knights have been undamaged for a turn. And that also, that plays into the key effect for uh, ages fragment. I've had 
opportunities where uh, they shot at the phoenix instead of the dragon, and that saved his uh, Aegis fragment because Aegis fragment is not a uh, it's not uh, a you you may do it. It's a you must do it now. I, I remember back in the past it was like you can after you take damage, and now it's a must. So they can waste it the first time you take damage and not uh, and not waver you. They'll heal it back, but. That definitely, I remember one time it helped me because I had a dragon on my right flank and I was playing, I think it was my dad actually. My dad runs dwarves and he runs three sharpshooters, three cannons, I mean all that stuff. Put him into the Phoenix, I mean, yeah, the Phoenix has got like 11 wounds on it now, but he flubs he flubs the die roll and then I heal all that damage off back the Phoenix and now my dragon still technically has uh, Iron Resolve 3. So it's it's it can be used, it's a very versatile Titan. One of the most versatile Titans, in my opinion. And I will add <laughs> that um, if you're looking to get a good sportsmanship score, sometimes the Phoenix is so good, people kind of look at you and go, how, how can this be 145 points? Right? And <laughs> yes. You, you know, and you yes. kind of look at him, you give him the awkward, like, I don't know. You don't know, man. <laughs> like, the thing is, as well, just, just because of your other options, you're always going to have the unlocks for it as well. It's, yes. It's, yes. It's, it's, it's just, just nice and easy. I mean, Kevin, just look at just look at it time, Kevin. Do you want to move on and talk about the war engines? Yeah, and I, if it's okay with you, I'll I'll just kind of group them together because I, I yeah, in my in my mind, at least for me, I've seen a switch in the way that I play with my war machines because traditionally in the beginning of my brother Mark and brotherhood, I always use the uh, Valen siege artillery, right? And because that thing is just downright scary. So um, <laughs> it's a war machine that has two attacks, nine eleven nerve, ninety points. Uh, it hits on uh, five plus and it's got a defense four plus. It, it reaches out and touches people. Uh, and when it does, it does D3 plus one, ignores obscured, indirect, piercing three, and with reload. And yeah. and good God, when you take two or three of these things and they hit all in the same they turn. Spike, yes. Oh, oh my word. Yes. Oh, like the look on people's faces. Uh, <laughs> uh, if, you know Greg, if you know Greg Person, um, I had uh, he used to have run like an undead, and he took the like whatever the the equivalent of those blood knights you were talking about, Jackson. Right, Tur- the turn one, yeah. turn one, all three of them hit. All did like D like hit the three on the D three, and in a single turn, boop, gone. And he's like, oh, "Well, Lord. that was a good game." <laughs> my dad has with his artillery shot off a wilt father like turn one with the. I mean, if they spike, they spike. On the flip side, if they don't, and we've all been there where we yeah. just can't hit the broad side of the barn, and now you're sacrificing lots of points, right? If you're taking three, that's 270 points. And, and so you're, it sometimes feels like you're fighting, you know, with one hand tied behind your, your back. Yeah. And and so when they made the, like, the revisions to the heavy arbalist, like, I, I, I was like, that's pretty good. Because for only 75 points, you get a little uptick in nerve, 10, 12. Yep. You get the same two attacks. But now you're hitting on four pluses, which means that you're at least hitting once. Yep. Feeling pretty good with the blast, right? D3, piercing two, but shattering. Shattering, that's and, the big thing. Yep. That's the big, right? And, and so <laughs> when I say, like, now the Brother Mark have a little bit of shooting, if you add these heavy arbalists in, like, it has, it has changed the way that my games have gone. Because typically speaking, um, I was never a very shooting heavy type of army list kind of player. Yeah. And so in the first two turns, you, you do all the the moving and the positioning and the jo- uh, you know uh, uh, 
you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and then you kind of roll in and fight each other. But you never could apply that pressure because you don't have any flyers and now you don't have any shooters. But with this and the Phoenix upgrades, you can now start kind of putting plank damage all over either on chaff pieces yep. or on units that are threatening. And it really forces people's hands and they can feel that pressure and it puts them more likely into the position of making you know, mistakes. And mm. and when they make a mistake, then you jump on them with with the, yep. the bloody hand of righteousness that is the brother mark <laughs> and start slapping people around. Do you tend to use them, um, Kevin, as sort of like zone denial, where you'll sort of put them all together on one side or put them all together in one particular lane and try and discourage people to in terms of deployment or it is the battlefield dependent on really where those things set up. Sometimes I kind of spread them evenly and then kind of point them inwards to try to focus fire on that. I, uh, what, what do you call the naiads? They're not heart pierces, the ones with the snares. Yeah, in snares. Yeah. There you go. Like the best example of this was last year when they, they were hiding in the forest as they do, took a step out. And they get shot by the arbalists, they get shot by the phoenix, and they get shot by the longbowmen. 23 wounds later, take them off in a single turn. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's not something you normally see with a Brother Mark army. It, it, they have pieces that can really help you right. with the plank damage and ultimately put a little bit more threat. It's really funny, actually, just just hearing the, the three of us talk. It sounds like we've all got very different Brother Mark armies. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, yes. I feel like I feel like we kind of bridge the gap between the Phoenix and like uh, one thing. One thing that I do with the heavy arbalist uh, before before this update, of course, I would take it over a wizard because in my mind, it's a damaging mind fog. It's essentially it's a mind fog uh, that you, of course you can't you can't throw it you can't throw it into combat, but I mean, heck, you didn't kill that one unit. Uh, I, I remember I remember a time I, I ran the Heavy Arbalist, and I had it in the back, and I, I think I snake-eyed a unit with my knights. What I did instead of going back in with the knights is disengage the knights and hit the unit, uh, hit the unit that was about to come on the flank, uh, that was kind of like positioned up for next turn to get a flank, and I hit that unit instead and shot the Arbalist at the unit that I snake-eyed and now managed to do kill two units in one turn versus one unit. And now I have just a, a heavy Arbalist sitting there looking pretty. I mean, it's really good for 75 points. And I think the biggest reason, uh, the two biggest reasons to take it over the Valene Siege Artillery is the Shattering and the Indirect. You can still shoot the heavy arbalist at something that's two inches away from you. I mean, that's that's the biggest thing in my mind is that you're not just left to uh, have like have your fate decided if a if a flyer like a wing it comes up on you or something. I mean, you have that opportunity to damage it and possibly kill it. As opposed to the siege artillery, it's a consistent amount of damage every single turn, and that's yes. what I'm looking for in a range piece, like. I love it when the siege artillery hits, and that's wonderful, and you get all those funny stories. But golly, it- it's it's such a bipolar unit. Like, <laughs> uh, shall we move on to heroes? I think we are, aren't we? I think we're on to uh, on to heroes. In terms of uh, bearer of the holy icon, one of the new um, sort of more interesting um, standard bearer type units uh, in the game, and. Uh, Interestingly, uh, Life Leech 1 Infantry only is the um, the sort of buff that's given to the Brother Mark option. 
Um, I don't know about you guys, but the only time I take um, the bearer of the holy icon is if I can't afford um, High Chaplain Augustus. So I sort of take him, give him um, Loot of Insatiable Darkness, and he sort of he's my sort of poor man's High Chaplain um, because he's obviously got he's inspiring. He's got a little bit of um, something heal adjacent in, in in the form of life leech and can add the bane chant. He's not he's not able to fight in the same way as the high chaplain is, but he's what is he, seventy points for that, I think is a pretty effective support piece for the wearer of my army. The thing is that you gotta consider because because in certain aspects, Brother Mark kind of plays like a horde list where individuals aren't like a want. They're almost a need. Like you need individuals for this to work, but it turns into how many uh, how many slots of individuals are you going to sacrifice to upkeep that horde, upkeep those uh, those regiments and knights? So my my go to is the paladin is the paladin on the individual paladin with the lead from the front, so it gives them rally, and then High Chapel Augustus. Is there need for another individual there? Is is the trade off worth it? In some cases, yes, but at the same time, you're also taking up another hero slot, so. He's very good, but in terms of do you need him all the time, it's sometimes like a maybe not. Like like Jed said, he's, he could he could be a poor man's uh, Augustus in many terms. For clarity, though, because I always I've always played it with just the added aura because I know the uh, uh, Basilian uh, one has the holder of the holy relic. Does that carry over to us, or is no, that no? It does not. Okay. I, that's what I thought, right? Like, and that's how I've been playing it. You say that, Kevin. I, I got my Clash of Kings book, and through the post um, when it came out last year, I was looking really excitedly through it to find all the amazing changes for for Brother Mark, and it's one paragraph. It's one it's paragraph. No, yeah. I know. <laughs> it was heartbreaking oh. when it happened. Oh my gosh! Yes, we'll, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I will say, and this goes kind of to Jackson. Like, it, this now leans into. Hey, you've got a horde of paladin uh, monster slayers. Like this, this guy's a shoe in to help them be more bulky. My poor man's uh, Augustus is actually the priest because the priest can yep. just about do everything Augustus can, just a notch below, right? Because the priest now he's just fifty-five points, but you're going to give him the heal. You're probably going to give him the bane chant, and then bane you're going to give him yep. that item that allows you to re one reroll one failed you know spell die. And now yeah, he's the staff. yeah the conjurer staff. There you go. And and now he's what like a hundred and five, a hundred and hundred and twenty with bane chant and heal too. Okay, then he's like he's twenty five points less than than Augustus, and does basically the same thing without the rally. And so if you don't need the rally, quote unquote, then you, you go with the priest. The priest is quite good because he sort of he, he sits in quite an unusual position, doesn't he, with um, with inspiring and having access to sort of really decent support spells. Because I I'd sort of slept on him for quite a while because I've always viewed the priest as a sort of a straight sort of mage type character. And I've always preferred the uh, war wizard, particularly with... Um, with the fact that they've got access to, to decently priced spells, lightning yeah. bolts and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And and so I've always sort of preferred the wizard, but actually the inspiring was something that I, like I say, I'd, I'd overlooked initially and it does, it does have, it does have some benefit. One thing that goes overlooked here, and I'm not going to say this is, this is going to be revolutionary with the new meta coming up with Twilight Kin, uh, but cleanse 
is good, suddenly really good now. Yeah, because it's it's not it's not exactly a rock paper scissors uh, paper to rock counter from Twilight Kin to uh, Brother Mark, but it is. It stops. It stops that. Uh, it stops that appeal to the uh, to the Twilight Kin army because you know uh, Twilight Kin's whole purpose is you get into combat with them, and not only are you weakened, but now they're popping blood hex, and so you're essentially. I mean, you're hitting on the become defense six. They go from defense four to defense six. That negates it. That that's kind of like the big deal is, and priest priesty, he's good. He's he's nothing he's nothing crazy. Like I said, I I'll take I'll take Augustus over the priest most of the time. Uh, but. That, that was another reason I got into uh, Brother Mark was because Augustus is like priest plus. I mean, he's like the premium priest that you take. And uh, do you, do y'all run Shroud of the Saint with the priest? No, I don't tend no, to. No, really? No. No. I, I sort of, I rely more heavily on, on phoenixes for, for heal, really. I mean, and, and just to touch on what you were saying before, just about sort of the um, cleanse. I mean, certainly where I am, hex is very common. So again, that's a nice little sort of answer to hex as well. Um, I, I yeah, I, I don't, I don't tend to use the the priest as a healer really. I just sort of view him as a as a as a person you can give bane chant and inspiring to, <laughs> which is another sort of poor man's understanding. Oh, well, I see him as like that utility piece, right? He's almost like a right. a walking phoenix in a way, right? Doing little things that help in every situation, depending upon what item that you give him. And so you could take him. If not, like cleanse is also on the chaplain, right? The the chap the chaplain for me is is my MVP of this list. He's so so good because if you if you just the amount of people who will sort of come into your backfield and sort of um think oh i'm going to start sort of um causing all sorts of upsets in the sort of in the flanks and the rear and things and all of a sudden they're surprised that your your um your wizard who's been casting veil of shadows all game runs up with three attacks crush one in elite and ground some flyer and and it, it just it makes such a big difference and i tend to run two as well so they, they quite often run in together and, and can actually cause some decent damage to, to units we want to talk about the exemplar chaplain at his base he's uh um, infantry speed five melee three defense five uh no unit strength clearly because he's a, a hero three attacks Nerve 11, 13 at a very nice uh, points of 60. Uh, to Jed's point, he's got Crushing Strength 1, Elite, Individual, Iron Resolve, and Rallying 1 to the lens only. And he comes with Cleanse as well. And 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 he does whatever it is that you want him to do, right? Like, I, I started off using him, like, in the Kingdoms of Men um, army, there's the literally hero called a hero. And you put him on the, the horse and he rides around and goes, you sit and you sit, right? Like he acts like a really nice piece of chaff um, that can just do whatever that you need to. But he can do other things, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, if you have an infantry heavy army, he can help support it with that lovely rallying. And the, he can do the battle hymns, with, which gives your Valens uh, uh, fury. Uh, he can heal. But that's even more. You can go, go and give him the host of the shadow beast. And and I think a lot of people don't think uh, wide enough around that particular spell because they'll always give it to the exemplar hunter. But you can give it to just about any one of our yeah, guys. It's, it's and not it, what it used to be. Yeah, but I, 
I still think like it 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 is an like a a worthwhile spell if you put it on him and you can give it to anybody, even himself. And he, if you do like the the math out, he does just about the same as an exemplar hunter once you give it to himself and you give him like the um the scythe of the harvest or whatever that is. Like the 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 versatility of this unit is just insane, and you need to have at least one. And probably two. <laughs> it's strange, Kevin, because I use him rather than as an offensive piece. I use him as a real sort of support piece because I, because I run such a villain heavy army, I always go for um, for the battle hymns upgrade because five point fury aura is just fantastic. And I sort of think, well, I'm taking an aura already. I'm going to extend the aura with the sacred horn, and then go. Well, if I've already got an extended aura, what extra aura can I have? And therefore, we'll go for. Um, Veil of Shadows that can quite often cover most of my sort of central central battle line. Um, and that way you've got, he's just doing so much work for a relatively modest points outlay. Uh, so I think that is Sacred Horn 20. Um, so I think that puts him to 85. Um, I think it's about 105. Yeah, let me just. Um, <laughs> I think it might be less. Yeah, it's 105 of Sacred Horns, 15 points. Let me just check. Um, he's just good, is what we're telling everybody. He's just that good. Yeah, he's a, it's 100, 100, uh, 105 with those uh, with those upgrades. I want to say, Kevin, uh, when I said Host Shadow Beast is not what it used to be, that was like in a positive connotation. Like, no, it's not what it used to be. There is there is a hundred percent reason for you to stick it on. Uh, just a random person because it's it's no longer dependent on uh how well the hero is. It's just in addition to the other attacks. So, I mean, I don't run Ho Shadow Beast anymore because the only reason I ran it was I I put it on Gakamak when uh when it was when it or first got released. So now Gakamak has like what thirteen attacks on twos. I'm beginning to play around with it, but right, yeah. the Brother Mark is such a hero-heavy army with lots of individuals. There's a potential there that you don't normally see in any other army, and, and it can catch people out when suddenly this little guy, even though you might say, oh, he's got crushing one in melee, he'll cause one or two wounds, and now he's causing five or six, that throws everything all up. It throws a wrench in the other guy's plan. Exactly. exactly. Like, oh, I'm just going to run over this guy. Well, Maybe not because he's got, he's got, he's still kind of tough. He's defense five, right? Defense five. Yeah, defense five. Or flip it like the holy icon bearer goes and charges into attack, and your opponent's like, huh, what are you doing there? And then the guy comes over and goes, here you go. Here's the host. Uh, and now you're stuck and you've probably get yeah. taken three, four wounds. Did we cover the war wizard? Uh, we haven't. He, he's, a, he's, he's pretty, he's pretty standard. I mean, I think the, um, I think the iron resolve is quite nice because they they can be a target for so, for sort of plink damage and with a ten twelve nerve anything to sort of get them back up from from taking one or two wounds is beneficial. And um, lightning bolt four is quite nice. I think I think they they're they're priced quite favorably compared to kingdoms of men wizards with that four lightning bolt. But obviously they don't have the access to Pegasus or anything like that, which would be a a really sort of positive a steal here. Yeah, it might be a bit too good actually. I think it will be outside the play style. I think, but yeah, I, th- I think they're just a fairly solid caster. Did he go down in points? And so he, so he, he was seventy five. He's gone down to thirty five. If you give him back his original spell, that takes him to sixty five points. Correct. So he's a discount. Yeah, he's ten points cheaper. But I mean, thirty five points, and you have a 
an iron resolve caster that can really take some different options here, right? If you want to do shale of veil of shadows, like there, there's some guys here that potentially could take some of those special spells. Um, what's his, what's, what's, what's his spellcaster level? Is it two? It's two. I take one in all my brother mark lists. I tend to take uh, him with lightning bolt four and hex and the, the periscope just so he can sort of sit behind all my infantry and just sort of give a terrible time to sort of cast us, really. That's definitely an undervalued item, by the way. That's a really nice combination. A hundred percent agree. You know, we're going to get into the dictator next, and David Musgrave does ask, what actually is the point of the dictator and his iron discipline rule when other armies simply get characters with auras, which do similar buffs without hurting your own army? I think it's a thematic. You're a masochist. You're a flagellant. You know, there's some self-sacrificing here. That that's the point, right? It's it's not done for gaminess on the table. I think there's it's really leaning into the them- thematic elements. I don't know. What are you guys' thoughts on this? I don't like the dictator. I, I, he he doesn't really. I, I I think he's a really cool piece, but he just doesn't seem to land in my army ever. I think if I want a sort of a, a foot hero, I'm probably I mean particularly one that's dedicated to a sort of a, a, a sort of a combat role. I'd much more frequently go for the is it the exemplar paladin yeah I, I think i know he's more expensive but i think the dictator fills a role that my army's not really lacking i have tried on a couple of occasions to try and write a list with a dictator with wings just to try and see if it can do something but i've done a run the dictator with wings because i think that is probably <laughs> the best way to to do it especially with the iron discipline mm-hmm. um and i think that synergizes really well especially if you run paladin knights use them uh, it, with mi- mixed success uh, i i think that d3 really hurts and i think you really need to practice because i i think there's that possibility because it doesn't just give vicious he also gives that self-inspiring inspire yourself and, yeah, yeah. And I and I think that gives it gives you the opportunity to really extend out a unit that you normally wouldn't do because you can give them that opportunity. But he's pricey, right? Because it's it's fifteen points for the iron discipline upgrade. So now you're already at ninety points, right? Yeah, yeah. It's so situational that I think there's much there's much better uses of fifteen points in this list. It's true, yeah. and and I would say though, however, yeah, we're forgetting that he's a duelist. Hero hunting is a thing that he can do that we don't normally have the availability because we don't really have a lot of flying units, particularly on small bases, that can get into different positions. Again, situational, but it's at least worth a thought if if you're really been struggling with those, you know, wizards that are hiding behind the, the you know blocks of infantry, battle drillers and stuff like that as well. It's those kind of um, crocodiles, wranglers, and things like that. I imagine that'd be quite good. Giving him wings, yeah, it's nice. But Zimplar Hunter is, in my opinion, a, w- a way better like trade off to give him wings and give him uh, Order of the Lone Wolf. I mean, if you're running the the dictator, you're giving him wings. I, I don't know. I just it, maybe it's personal preference, but I like I like the Exemplar Hunter more. I think both the hunter and the paladin can have the gauntlet as well to 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 get the duelist. I mean, I know I know you you're creating a very pricey unit at that point. Well, Kevin, take us into the exemplar paladin if you want, because I think that is a fair comparison to the dictator, right? Yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the, the really 
big differences. Well, first of all, they have a lot of similarities. So they, they start off on foot, right? Melee, three plus, defense, five. Clearly no unit strength because individuals. You have one more attack, uh, t- five attacks. The nerve is 13, 15, which is one more. And, and you're starting off, you're paying for it, right? So you're at 105 for this guy base. And you have only crushing one, but you still have that elite. You have, uh, well, actually, the, the dictator doesn't have elite. So you gain elite. Um, headstrong, individual, inspiring, iron resolve, mighty. And you have a lot of options. So you can put them on a horse for 35 points. You can give them an Aegis Fragment for another five. You can give them a gauntlet. But probably why you're taking him is because you've got this special role called lead from the front, which is basically giving rally to all infantry units for just 10 points. You know, coming from my particular uh, play style, I don't often use an exemplar paladin because I don't run a whole heck of a lot of infantry or they don't need that particular buff. <laughs> but I can see his place. It's just you're going to pay for it, right? Like you're already starting off at 105. Yeah. And if you want to put him on a horse, then that's 140. And if you're at 140 points, why aren't you going for an exemplar hunter then who is just going to cause way more issue for uh, opponents than than this dude? What do you guys think? Similar to the Kingdoms of Men captain, right? In the sense yep. that Rally's yes. one, right? Uh, and points are, are close. I know the, the captain's got Master Tactician. And if you're taking him, I think you're taking him for the Rally one. Yeah, and, and that's the other thing is most, most people don't realize you can put him in with your other units. I mean, he does damage. He he hits. I, I don't usually run the gauntlet with him because he's got, he's got a, he's behind with a, He's like behind my units when they charge, but he not only does he hit pretty hard uh, with five attacks, crush one elite melee. I mean, really, that that goes overlooked by a lot of people because they think he's just like a standard bearer or he's something along the lines of a standard bearer. No, he he can hit, but he's also really good for movement capabilities. If you're uh, if you're putting him in with like another regiment and it's the same footprint. And they're on, like on the cusp of the woods. I mean, he can take that hindered penalty and keep the other regiment out of the woods, keeping them from getting hindered. Uh, he's he's really he's really good. The rally is why I take him because I do take a, a good bit of infantry. I, I don't know. I mean, in comparison, he's not the exemplar hunter, and I think that's one thing is people tend to compare him to the exemplar hunter in terms of like go get on a horse, run off, and go kill some things. But I don't think that's his place. I think his place is to stick with because because like you said, Exemplar Hunter, way better option. Well, and he's thirteen, fifteen, and mighty. So if he's sticking with your battle line to give him rally, you can throw him into something exactly within reason and actually hold some stuff up to give your infantry better odds. If you're uh, sticking the High Chaplain Augustus, which is what I do sometimes, is I'll stick Augustus kind of on the cusp of my three uh, infantry knights. So that way, if he needs to, he'll go run off and uh, with the with the the horse horse knights. What you can do, I mean, he still gets pumped up. Uh, they pump each other up with a rally. So now he's a fourteen sixteen, and Augustus is also a fourteen sixteen. They're pretty tanky individuals. I mean, they can take a hit and they can hit back. Is the big thing for me. So I think he, I think he, he's good where he is, where he stands. He has good synergy with the uh, infantrymen and. I like him. He's 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 decent. Do you double with the horde of like paladin monster slayers? Because that just seems like a ridiculous combo when you use these two guys. I actually don't use it with the. So I'll take three. Uh, like I said earlier, I'll take the three regiments, and I find 
that they are way more effective at so two regiments of powdered monster slayers give one of them brewer strength and then the other one leave naked and then take the Osworn guardians place the Osworn guardians in the middle and now they're getting pumped up i found that not only are they better because now you've got nine unit strength instead of four which is a significant increase but also you have to pick and choose charges you can't just multi-charge these guys and sometimes what i'll do is i'll take my osworn guardians and i'll move them slightly back so you cannot double charge them and you have to double charge one of the other guys on the outskirts of the uh of the trio so i don't necessarily take him in the horde because 17 19 is good enough to get to get by and i, I just feel like with a horde he can there's too much focus on just that one horde I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I don't run a horde that often. I don't think I've actually ever ran a horde of ogre. Oh, ogre! My lord, I'm losing my brain. Uh, of palace guard, the paladin monster slayers, but the three. I mean, with the with the with the rally, very good. Yeah, I mean, he is 115 points with the rally. We can't put him on a horse. So, I mean, pretty. If he's there for the rally, that's what he's there for. And if you're if you're running infantry. Then it's kind of a no-brainer, but if you're not running a lot of infantry, you know, I don't know. Well, Kevin, you want to take us into the hunter? I know everybody loves the exemplar hunter. Okay. I will say that it frustrates the heck out of me. And I'll explain why in a quick second. It kind of goes with like, like Jed's uh high paladin on the dragon. The exemplar hunter. He has the entirety of the book, right? So he's speed five, he's melee three, he's defense five, he's got five attacks, he's got nerve 12, 14, he's 115 points. But when you start with the special rules, he's got everything. Elite, crushing two, individual, iron resolve, self-expire, mighty, slayer with a melee D3. And then you can just add in a host of options depending upon which way you want to go. You can put him on a horse for 35 points. You can make him a duelist by giving him a, a making uh, giving him a gauntlet for 10. And then you can pick orders depending upon how yeah, that particular play style, right? The order of the bear makes you more of a monster hunter, uh, turning that slayer into D6 rather than D3. The order of the lone wolf makes him more of that scout out in front. So you replace the slayer with rampage, a D3. You gain pathfinder, scout, your speed goes to six for just 10 points. <laughs> and then you have the Order of the Hawk, which makes him into that nightly, you know, a bow hunter. So that he has a ranger. range of uh, yeah. Yeah, four, uh, four up and probably one of the rare Slayer range D3 with a crossbow that's 18 inches, piercing one for 25 <laughs> points. Can't put a horse on that particular guy, nor can you do it with the lone, uh, the lone wolf. I don't think you're doing with any of them. He's one of those premier units that if you take the brother mark, you want to take him because he could be anything that you want. I often take him in the order of the lone wolf because he kind of acts like a, a skirmisher, which again is a brother mark issue of projecting threat. And so him scouting out and then jumping on some poor schmo who doesn't understand you know, what, what's, <laughs> who this guy is. Yeah. <laughs> Witness me, right? Did you know who I am? If you give him the Malay D3 and you're going after characters, you give him the gauntlet, potentially you have 16 attacks, which would be pretty awesome. My one frustration with this guy, and it, is, it has caused me a, a couple of problems, is that he doesn't have Fury. He doesn't have Headstrong. So there is a potential oh, here to get wavered. And I kid you not, Keith Conroy, uh, I'm talking to you, man, because a <laughs> unit of dogs charged my exemplar, caused one wound. 
you know, rolls at 11, waivers him. Now I can't do anything. Right. And, and then they charge him again, cause one wound and waver him and then charge him again, cause one wound and waver. And, and now he's just out. And so, you know, you have to you have to be careful with him. He's a little bit of a glass cannon, a little bit, but he is he is very, very good. Uh, he's um, a force multiplier. One thing that I will do with the Exemplar Hunter is I will take uh, Order of the Lone Wolf, Lone Wolf, gains Pathfinder's Scout, and Speed 6. In my opinion, that is the best out of the three for 10 points. Yeah, it's the cheapest, and he gains the most. He gains quite possibly the most out of it, but that's not what I necessarily do with him. I slap on the wings of the Honey Bays. And now you have the flying death. I mean, he's... He's going after things. Um, he's got enough attacks to where you can put him in the side of a unit and cause that extra, extra bit of damage. He's just, he's just that guy. I mean, deploy him twelve inches, move him up twenty, and now here he is, almost no above above halfway through the uh, the table. Take your first turn, move behind the enemy lines. I mean, this dude is ridiculous. If you if you can pull off, if you can get first turn. You can charge him into pretty much anything, or you can get him behind the backfield. Let's see, that's 12, 20, 20 more. So that's, what, 52 inches? You can move him pretty much anywhere on the board if you get first turn with that. 165 points at that, though. Like, if you look at all the, the different types of armies, how many how many armies out there do not rely on individuals to help carry them, necessarily? I, th- I can think of a couple, ogres being one of them. I don't really think that ogres, he would benefit well against ogres. I mean, necromancers. I'm trying that combination out for the very next game. The only problem, though, Jackson, is it's the same thing if you try like an assassin, like in other lists. Yes, he can get there. They will kill him at some point. Because, you know, you take the wings, you lose a bit of defense, right? Yeah, you lose one defense. You will die. You will die. And the reality is it's a cost trade-off. Like, yeah, if you can get that key well i mean if you're playing twilight kid you can get that stupid spellcaster that's weaknessing you the whole time great that's awesome that yeah you're probably not going to get your points back i i mean i can see him right on giving the wings you just sit back and you keep him in your battle line and if you have the lone wolf option you can come on and do his thing he's fast enough he's speed six i wouldn't exactly suggest running that at a tournament but if you're running it at a uh like maybe like a one day where you know who's running what or maybe you're just sitting down and you're playing like i play with my dad he plays with all that uh with all the shooters and the cannon and the cannons and like the three three organ guns three cannons and a jaron bombard it's just like so much shooting he is almost going to triple his uh his worth essentially I mean, charging in with all that, with all that damage and all that, uh, the triple attacks with the uh, against war machines and stuff. I'm going to be on Jackson's side here, and and that, and I, I know I've said this a couple times, but that that combination does something that the brother Mark doesn't do, and that is have extended threat. Yeah, and, yeah. And to have this dude way out right from the get go, and and it's so unique that a lot of players have never played against it before, and that's going to make them make mistakes. And at the very least, this thing can jump into every combat to help right. whatever combat that you need, right? That pivotal moment. I don't know. I don't know about y'all, but it's disheartening when you lose a unit turn one. It's it's super – like, I've had my Phoenix shot off turn one. I'm like, well, great. Now what? I mean, that's, that sucks when you're Phoenix. When you think you, you think you can take all that damage and you can't, 
And now the Phoenix gets shut off, and you're like, oh, crap, there's a centerpiece of my army. Take Twilight Ken, for example, that stupid – oh, my God, I hate him so much. That stupid caster back there, you lose him, and you're like, oh, crap. I mean, it's it's not game over, but it's just like that's a big roadblock. That's a huge setback. And not only not only does it show like right out of the gate that like play the offensive, you're you're here to you're here to kill, but it also shows like I mean, he's there, he's up in your face, and you have to deal with him immediately. There's no there's no positioning if ands or buts about him. If your opponent does not do the math and does not realize what I mean special abilities he can do. He is a very versatile threat and will run into your backfield. And like, I, I have not got the chance to play Jeff uh, with his army yet because he's been out. But uh, run it back there. And now all of his shooting is essentially turned off. And that's the other thing. Not only, especially with like flying units, sometimes the best offense is no offense at all. You don't have to charge. You can. He's a space taker. You can make space for yourself. You can make space for your units. I mean, if you move uh, a dragon up into that territory where you can charge them, but they can't charge you, it's going to be at a standstill. They're not going to move unless uh, if it's if it's a good enough unit to where they don't want it to get hit by the dragon. They're not going to move. You're not going to move. You're taking space. Same thing with this guy. Move him into the backfield. Don't even attack anything in, unless you need to. Just make your presence known like, hey, I'm here. I will kill you at any moment uh, and just take that space. So now it's one guy, but you're, you're essentially fighting two different fronts is, is the big, is the key thing here. Really good unit. I'd say 165 points is more than worth it uh, because there's just, there's just too many armies out there that rely on individuals like casters for orcs, casters for, uh, I mean, druids for nature, uh, Phoenixes for, well, maybe not Phoenixes, but like priests for Basileans. I mean, there's just there's just too many necromancers for undead. There's too many things out there that require that individual to be alive. It, he's he's a he's a disruptor, is what he does. I'm a disciple now. Disciple of Jackson. I mean, the reality is you have a very expensive individual that can do some damage. We'll have to check back in with Kevin after he's uh, wrecked Keith Conroy with it. You know, oh, let's not let's not go too crazy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm rooting for you, Kevin. I'm rooting for you. Well, Jackson, let's get into the Oathsworn Guardians. Absolutely. Uh, That's we got two unique units, and that's the first. So Oathsworn Guardians, they're a they're the living the living legend version of your regular Paladin Monster Slayers. So pretty similar on the uh, pretty similar on the like nerve and everything. So speed five, melee three, defense four. they have three inner strength, 12 attacks, dash 17, and 180 points. Uh, there's their special rules. They have Crush One, Duelist, Elite Melee, Inspiring, Iron Resolve, and Rampage D3. These guys are great. I will take them every single time. Uh, they're a source of inspiring. They are they have crushing. That rampage does way more than you think it would ever do if it spikes. So now you're rolling 15 attacks instead of 12. Um and now he's their dash 19 with the double rally. So good. I mean, I would take them every time. They're worth 180 points, in my opinion. Do any of y'all take them? Y'all's uh, I, t- I, I took them initially because um, I made a really sort of uh, – I made a unit with a with a sort of a grail reliquary and things like that, which I quite liked um, and, and used it as that. But the defense four and the fact that they've only got 
12 attacks with crush one. They they just never seem to do enough for me. Um, Yeah. And and it might just be that I've had a few, a few sort of bad experiences that's left a sort of a bad taste in my mouth, but I've, I've, I've certainly had a few instances where they've been taken off in a turn and they've not had a right of reply. And that's, that's um, like I say, the the 180 points for defense four is, is, it's just not really, and I think they're a bit pricey compared to what I usually sort of take as well. They they don't sort of mesh all that well. What I use to me, it gets that whole carrier feel again, like with your high paladin on a dragon or your horde of monster slayer paladins, like by themselves. Like I, I to Jed's point, I've also had bad experience with them because of that defense four, and, and like the worst experience was they got beat by a troop of like orc berserkers or whatever oh, those dudes were and i'm just more like, uh, yeah like more, i'm just like come on man <laughs> like <laughs> really something. Right? Come on. but yes to your point like adding in those those components you can make this this unit into something but yes. left to itself it will struggle and i always find when i've taken it it kind of hides back it's like please don't shoot me please don't you know yeah like, yeah. like that but if you were to build around it, I, I could see how it could be. Yeah. From my experience with them, building around it, very useful. Very, very useful. Because, uh, yeah, defense four, that's going to suck if they get thrown in and something something nasty's there. But dash 19 defense four unit. I'm just curious. So how do you get to dash 19? The, uh, the infantry guy. And then High Chaplain Augustus. Oh, okay. We haven't gotten to him yet. Yes, yes. Dash 19, very, very good. I have had several attempts where they put several wounds into him and roll one under. And that 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 uh, Fearless, very good. Very, very good. I know I've had some bad experience with them, but when you synergize around them, they become very, very useful. Like I said, uh, you take the three of them and then you kind of back them up. They're in the middle and you kind of back them up and – they're enclosed by the other two, so they don't get flanked, and they can only get fronted by uh, something that's the same uh, same size base as them. And their rampage, I know rampage does not sound that like that good. It is, it is, especially if it hits well, because you're going from twelve attacks to fifteen attacks on threes with the uh, with the elite. It's eleven or twelve hits. Very good, in my opinion. I, th- I think notwithstanding they've sort of got potential for being quite a high fearless nerve, I'd just rather take more bodies and, and sort of have that extra nerve in the in, in the bank, really. They are pricey. I mean, for Tim Moorpoint, you can have a legion of uh, Valaine Penitents, and I definitely see the appeal. Thematically, though, the Oathsworn Guardians are really cool. Like, they're a really cool concept. Yes, and the Abyssals have a an opposite one, and they're 175 points. They're basically the same thing, uh, only they have regen and fury. Instead of that, thematically, very cool. Very, very cool. And I like the story that they get weaved into. I believe the Oathworms are the the ones that escaped first and experienced it firsthand, and so they have the most experience. But as far as thematic goes, very cool. If you can synergize with them, they're very good. By themselves, I completely agree with you. They would not hold their own at all. Jump into the high chapel. Absolutely. So this guy is the man. He's he's the man, the myth, the legend. Uh, if you're if you're taking Brother Mark, you're probably going to take him, no matter what you're running, just because he is so good. So high chapel Augustus. He's in hero infantry. He's a spellcaster too. Uh, 145 points, and what you get is speed five, melee three, death five. Uh, he's an individual, so no unit strength. He's got four attacks and 13, 15 nerve. So for a spellcaster, 
that's really good. But it's his special rules that kind of make him – special rules in his uh, spells that kind of make him shine. So he's crush one, uh, Crushing Strength 1, Elite Melee, Individual, Iron Resolve, Inspiring, Mighty, and Rally 1, Keyword Human Only. Almost everything in this army has Keyword Human. That's the big appeal to him. And his spells, he's got Heal 5 and Bane Chant 3. Granted, uh, he's a unique – he's a living legend, so you can't take uh, Condor Staff or anything. Bane Chant 3 is a really good – like Bane Chant Two's pretty swingy. Bane Chant Three, no, it's 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 very good. Do you have any opinions on this one, Jed? <laughs> a few is the problem because there's there's loads of there's loads of um, units in this army where I go, I really like that. Let's try and find a cheaper version of it by using some of the other hero slots. Um, if you um, if you look at, for example, the priest, um, you can have Heal Three and Bane Chant Two. Um, you haven't got the rally, but but you're also inspiring, and that's only a hundred points. And I'm generally getting my rally from other sources because I'm taking multiples of those sort of um, high chaplain, uh, those um, those um, chaplains. So he's really really good, and I and I will take him. But again, he's one of those things like the ancient phoenix that I will downgrade as one of my sort of first downgrades to try and get points back. I think you can make do without him. I suppose he's not one of the sort of linchpin models in my army. Well, let's take a quick commercial break. On the other side, we're going to chat about the army as a whole and how it fits in the bigger, wider meta of Kings of War currently. We'll be right back. I'm Andrew Whitehead. The reason Direct Misfire keeps calling Undead S-tier, and you're listening to Countercharge. Welcome back to Countercharge. And uh, next up, let's chat about how the army fits in the greater landscape of Kings of War. And, and you know, we talked a little bit about this earlier. You know, I, I wondered how thematically, you know, how an army that's centered on cavalry would work. But I think... I think you'd have enough other options to make a diversified battle force that you're not all relying on just just in, uh, just on cavalry. So, you know, Jen, what do you, how do you feel that they kind of fit in the greater landscape of Kings of War today? I th- I think they are a little underpowered. Um, you don't often see them um, winning tournaments unless um, one of the sort of ringers decides that they want um, the opportunity to play a different list. Um, and I, and I do think to your point. The, the lack of any sort of real meaningful hammer units above speed eight, with the exception of the the dragon, does hurt. Um, and, and I think actually one of the things that gets um, that's really difficult with them is that, um, or at least the way I play them, they're not a, they're not a very killy faction. So they're really really good at scenario play, but a lot of the um, events that I play in um, quite often heavily reward um, attrition and kills and things like that. Um, so if you, my army certainly doesn't doesn't kill a great deal, but tends to do quite well in scenario, and that often leaves you quite sort of mid table if you're not doing both. Um, so I, yeah, I think I think they're they're missing something with a bit more speed, but, but but I suppose on balance, if you gave them that extra speed, they wouldn't really have the same thematic feel that they have now. I think you just have to accept that they're a sort of a slightly more higher skill cap army to to do very well with. That I'm still. Not quite there yet myself, but they're a difficult army to play. That plays itself out when you just look at how many people are playing, Brother Mark. Like you looked at Clash of Kings from the UK last year. I mean, there was not that many of you guys that were playing the army. And, and you know, part of it is that there's, there's a lot of armies in the game. But I think when you said it's maybe a little underpowered, there's some truth to that. I also think that it's not an easy army to play. I, th- I think you're right there. I think it excels in in the grind, and I think that's the way you've got to approach it. Really, if sort of take it from its 
um, from sort of fluff to table. It, it's something that sort of gets gets down in the mud and keeps going. It isn't like you say a point and click army. You've got to be quite quite careful with it. And when you compare it to Order of the Green Lady, which more of an Alpha Strike army, when the Brotherhood went away and you've got these two new armies, Brother Mark and Order of the Green Lady, I think there's a wide difference, not only thematically but on the table. Whereas Alpha Strike, you know, uh, Order of the Green Lady is really about super fast units that hit hard. And need to break you on the go. They need to break you. Whereas the Brother Mark, yeah, you have some punch, but really it's about getting into that grind and having the Iron Resolve and the Rally keep you in it while you are enveloping the the opponent and kind of engulfing them. So do you think this is a new player-friendly army? No, I, I, I don't think it is. Um, so, for example, if you look at... If, you, if, you, if you're someone who's new to Kings of War and wants to come and play a sort of a human faction, you've got a sort of a variety of ones that you can pick. And if you look at, for example, Kingdoms of Men, where they've got the, the recent upgrade to the Beast Cavalry, so they can now take Wings and um, Thunderous and Vicious, like you've got a real sort of obvious speed 10 aggressive hammer unit, and you sort of know what you're going to do with that. You're going to point it towards the thing that they're going to kill and you're just going to set it set it off, really. Whereas with these guys, there isn't that obvious choice. You, you're going to get you're going to get out-threatened by a lot of quite simple chaff, things like sort of... Um, like flea bag riders and goblins and things like that are just going to really ruin your day. You'll have a really expensive night unit that's completely kitted out and all they need to be is disordered and, and a lot of their punches taken away. When you look at Clash of Kings 2024, you mentioned earlier that you didn't get a lot of changes. You got a few. You got a few. Is there any of those changes that stood out to you like, oh, that's that's a really impactful change? I, we were talking before actually about the change to the phoenixes. Now, I, like I'm, I'm a big fan of the phoenix of the phoenixes, um, and there was two things. Obviously, the increase in nerve was, I uh, said, the increase in unit strength was super positive. I mean, the, the fact that um, you can generally keep a few phoenixes or a couple of phoenixes alive until the end of the game, and that, that much like sort of Pegasus is in in the Kingdoms of Menalist, they, they become very, very valuable late game in terms of being the difference between winning and losing various objectives. Um, but I, but, and it might be bad luck on my part, but I've noticed that one pip of nerve from sort of sixteen eighteen to fifteen seventeen, and um, has been the difference in some games. It's significant. Yeah, if if you if you don't get the opportunity to roll those regen three pluses, it's not that good, is it? Like if you get broken on the first time you take damage, you do have to play it a little bit more cagey, right? I found that especially if you're going up against shooting armies, because he's typically not going to get cover unless he's in woods, you know, or if you got veil of shadows popped. You've got to be careful because if you put them out there and they get a full round of shooting against them, they're probably going to take it off. Yeah, and and, and further to the sort of um, Clash of Kings update generally, I mean the the the, the sort of wider um, buff in favor of spearman units, I think again helps Brother Mark out as well because I was taking um, spearman units generally um, just because I quite like using that sort of the lane heavy um, theme. And getting those extra points back was was a nice little benefit, I suppose. You know, with the changes to Clash of Kings, do you think that the Brother Mark are in a better position? I don't think they're any worse, but I don't, but I don't think that they have necessarily got any better than anyone else. And um, although I couldn't sort of point you to to a specific example, um, the changes that they got, as we said before, were were one paragraph um, in relation to the. Um, bearer of the holy icon, and the rest of the revisions were to the to the Basalia. And most of the changes are generic changes that everybody got. Yeah, spellcasters. Yeah, they all kind of went all a cart. 
phalanx units across the board got cheaper for everybody. You know, it's not like you have exclusive benefits to these things. I mean, yeah. everybody, everybody has them. So, yeah, no, it's, a, it's it's a fair point. So, for example, if you look at because there's, there's there's plenty of other armies in in the game that will have um, spear units, um, affordable titans, and um, and an, an army standard bearer, and and those changes will have affected those armies much more um, significantly. I think I'm a bit of a glutton for punishment in the sense that I just wanted to make loads of peasants and, and had to find an army that fit. But I mean, in in terms of um, their competitiveness um, as a sort of a as a horde sort of trash army, I do think there's some mileage in that. But again, a lot of that will come down to the scoring of the particular event you attend because you've got to find a way to take models off because they won't do it on their own. What do you think is key if you're going to build an effective Brother Mark army? What what needs to be in there? Well, it's quite funny, actually, because um, both um, Kevin and Jackson and I were, were talking about our various approach. And you, you'll have sort of heard during our discussion, we all take very different armies. Jackson's talking about how he takes two hordes of palace guard in, in every list. And Kevin was talking about how he might have four four, un- uh, four regiments of knights and um, two legions of Valaine bowmen. And I don't take anything but the formation and lots of infantry and and sort of foot support characters. And um, I think you need to lean quite hard into the um, rally synergy. Um, I think because a lot of I think a lot of the points. Um, well, I may be wrong. The rules committee would certainly say otherwise. But I suspect the sort of the points costs and the sort of the value of the units are presumably affected by the fact that they assume models are going to be rallied from at least one source generally. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think that's. I think you have to lean quite hard on rally and heal, and just there needs to be some way for those things to interact. I think for for the army to be effective. What about scenarios? Um, I find dominate is is a, is a really good one. Um, just because you've got so much, certainly the, the the way I sort of prepare my army, you've got so much, um, unit strength to bring to bear. Same with control as well. When you've got um the the phoenixes who are able to sort of get out in the mix. Um, the difficulty with the um, the sort of the loot or, or the sort of token carrying ones is that anyone who really can hold a, a, a token consistently um, is probably going to um, have some issues in terms of um, having their speed affected. Like you can certainly give it to legions of penitents, but you sort of want those legions of penitents to be charged by people. So you're in a sort of a, a, a bit of a no man's land because you're wanting to hold these tokens and move them into into certain positions um, while equally using those units as bait for your opponent's hammers. So it's not it's not uncommon in those situations for me to have given a token to a, a legion of penitents and then for someone to spend quite a lot of time getting off them but still get it off them in the end. So I'm not a big fan of the token ones particularly. Jackson, uh, talk to me about scenarios. Um, with the list I run, I don't necessarily have a weak scenario. I'd say my weakest scenario is the uh, you got to put tokens on people and move across the board. Is that is that push push? That's push, right? Yeah. So I'd say I'd say push is probably one of my weakest due to the lack of due to the lack of units I have. Um, if I put a if I put a token on a unit that that unit is getting hunted down essentially. Um, same same with uh, same with loot. I mean, loot. I can I can handle loot pretty well, but it's honestly when push comes to shove, a lot of my things survive. But it's it's 
it's the uh, art of get me getting on it and me being able to not just get one unit on like one regiment of horses on that unit or on the token. It's it's the art of me getting multiple units on that token to like keep them alive. So it's it's very difficult to strategically coordinate multiple units to go off with others when I only have so many individuals that, you know, inspire so many individuals that are supposed to help the upkeep of my 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 line. Typically, how much unit strength are you pumping out in your lists? I think my sort of typical 2300 point army is where are we? I was just looking at it a moment ago. Unit strength 26. So it's reasonably high. It's not not crazy high, but still pretty up there. Yeah, I think the distinction is you have a lot of nerve to go with that, right? That's, That's the it, distinction. Yeah. So even though you may not have the 30-plus that some of the spammer your armies do, those armies don't have the individual units aren't aren't rocking 27 unit strength. Or excuse me, 27 nerve. Well, that's it. That, that unit strength is going to stick around. The durability of your unit strength is a lot better. It's sort of terrain. I'm going to guess you don't mind terrain because if you're playing a lot of heavy, inf- you know, if you're playing infantry, you're slow. You're probably going to be taking the punch. The only units that I'm generally sort of concerned about terrain for are the the two um, paladin knight units that go alongside the formation. One of them I'll take uh, Jesse's boots to to sort of mitigate that because they really do need to be able to hit effectively. Excuse me on the charge, and I quite often take the brew of is it brew of sharpness the um, plus one to hit item. To, to, be, to be fair, I'm I'm not really going to be the person who's charging. Yeah, you're you're going to take the punch and you're going to hopefully grind them out. So terrain doesn't really bother me, save for the fact that I need to account for some mitigation um, in the units that I need to deliver that big punch. But otherwise, people just move five inches and get there when they get there, I suppose. Let's talk about terrain. Terrain is good, especially for the south, southeast. I mean, I don't think I take... Yeah, yeah, to give me cover, um, I don't think I take that big of a penalty. I'll, I'll park my... Uh, I'll park my knights in woods sometimes because I'll have a bane chanter behind a bane chanting. Uh, dragon, dragon doesn't really care about terrain. Uh, he's gonna he's gonna f crap up anyways. And I know I know my army well enough to where my engagements. I'm not gonna charge like a regiment of iron guard, like defense six iron guard in the forest. I'm I'm, I'm not I'm not gonna do that. Uh, more likely what I will do is if there's a hill off, not not really in the center of the table, off to the left or the right, I will take that hill as a dragon because it just gives me so much opportunity to, uh, like, so much space to take up. I mean, I'm, uh, I don't really have that much shooting, so... Terrain, you're playing it defensively. You're Pretty basically much, using yeah. it to cover, right? And then occasionally... Um, Offensive yeah, with pretty, the dragon, yeah. What about magical artifacts? Are you a guy that takes a lot of them, or are you just like want as many bodies as possible? Oh, do you know what? I I really I really wish that I was the sort of person who could build these incredibly efficient, lean lists. But no, I'm I'm a real sucker for a magic item, especially some of the more expensive ones. And it's probably why I don't win so many games. Um, but but um, so for example, I. No, I mean to be fair, looking at this list, it's a little bit um. Lena, so I've got um I always like the periscope on the um on the wizard because hex and lightning bolt he just really um allows him to hide and also be really effective all the time. Um I always want some kind of force ampl- um force um 
amplifier for the for the two cavalry units, multiplier, forgive me. Um, as I said, in the terms of the Jesse's boots and the brew of sharpness, and then after that, it's um, depends on, on on the particular list. Like if I've got five points left over, it's always going to be blade of slashing for the dragon because anything that can sort of allow him to swing more consistently is always going to be a positive. If I've got the points for High Chaplain Augustus, I probably won't take any other items. If I haven't, I'll probably build a sort of a poor man's High Chaplain Augustus with the with the loot and things like that. But yeah, not I'd say I'd say I probably take a fair few items, but not so much that I've got sort of one on everything. I I, I, I suppose some people take the view, don't they, with particularly with hammer units that they they want them to sort of get in and out. Whereas I I feel that your hammer unit's got to do what its job is. And if that means you've got to spend a little bit of extra points on making it perform at that sort of optimum level, then it's worth doing. Magical artifacts. I'll take a, I'll take a decent, a decent amount, depending on how elite I get my list. Uh, I'll take certain things over others. Like with the ogre palace guard, definitely take waiver mitigation with uh, the dragon. Definitely take ages of the LOI. Um with, Sometimes, sometimes I will give uh, pipe to terror to my uh, paladin, paladin on foot. So that way, if I throw him in with other stuff, now I have six sources of brutal, two sources of cloak of death, um, and of course I'll give bane chant or not bane chant, sorry, but brew strength to one of my one of my regiments of foot knights, and then striding to uh, J boots to my uh, order, my single regiment of order of the abyssal hunt. That's that's about all. Do you want to go first or second? Depends on scenario because I'm because I'm quite slow. Scenarios like invade, I really want to get, um, I want to get going first because if I go second, the faster army what might sort of pin me back in my own half, particularly given that I've got a predominantly speed five infantry army. But then again, that being said, on on some of the other scenarios like control, having last turn with three nimble speed eight flyers again is quite beneficial so it's very scenario dependent i think i haven't got any i haven't got any sort of meaningful shooting outside of the phoenixes as well so i think on balance i want to go first um as well because you want that opportunity to cast veil of shadows before your opponent fills you full of arrows but yeah i think that's first turn generally unless it's like i say control where i probably would want um would want uh, to go second you want to go first or second i want to go second most every time I feel like going first is not uh, effective enough for me. Uh, maybe that's different with the with the uh, strategy I was talking about with the um, uh, lone wolf guy uh, with the wings of the honey maze, the exemplar hunter, where he flies up, flies fifty two inches, and goes and or yeah, essentially fifty two inches and goes and kills something. But yeah, most of the times I want second turn because it's just I've got flyers that can benefit from hopping on objectives last last second. What points level does the army work best at? I almost only ever play 2,300. Most of the tournaments that I go to um, here, with the exception of Steve Hildrew's tournament um, that I've been to, is 2,300. But he, he his tournament that he runs um, is 1,995. And I found they actually work quite well at 1,995 because they're quite lean. What you drop is, is sort of one, I think it was one character and one horde of penitence so it was they're all right at 1995 they, they still do what they should do what points level does this army work best at not 2000 2000 is just a, just a little bit shy 2300 so standard tournament 2300 to 2500 say 2600 is probably pushing it so 2300 2500 is probably the best 
point range for this army. Well, next up, guys, let's take a look at some some sample lists. Jed, you want to start us off with a list? Yeah, sure. So this is a list that I've been running at sort of more recent events. So it's uh, 2300. Um, it's uh, two legions of the lame penitents. Um, it's a horde of paladin monster slayers. Um, one troop of the lane skirmishes. Um, three phoenixes um, without any sort of upgrade. Um, one um, exemplar chaplain as he comes. Um, then one exemplar chaplain with Veil of Shadows and Battle Hymns. So he's got the um, Stealthy Aura and the um, Fury Aura. Then I've got the Bearer of the Holy Icon with the Loot. So he's uh, basically my poor man's uh, High Chaplain Augustus. Um, then I've got the War Wizard with the Periscope, Lightning Bolt 4, and Hex. And then I have the Formation uh, with one unit of Knights with the J-Boots, the other unit of Knights with the Brew of Sharpness, and the Blade of Slashing uh, on Sir Roderick, uh, leaving uh, a total of 14 units with uh, unit strength of 26. Jackson, hit us up. What do you got? Alrighty, so I pulled up the list I used for Forge because I did pretty well with it. I went 2-2-1, two, two, and one, but my losses weren't like heavy losses. I like this list a lot. Uh, it's two Regiments of Paladin Monster Slayers. They're both naked. I've got Oathsworn Guardians, two Hordes Ogre Palace Guard, Order of the Abyssal Hunt, an Ancient Phoenix, an Exemplar Paladin with Leaves from the Front, High Chapel Augustus, and the Formation. The Dragon gets uh, Blade of Slashing. So it's 27 unit strength, uh, 12 total units, 4 total inspiring units, uh, yeah, it's average defense of 4.81 and then 20 range shots from the, uh, combined with the Phoenix and the dragon. So I really like this list. Um, it's, it's interesting because I could have, I could have dropped the order of the abyssal hunt and given a bunch of people, uh, uh, magic items. I could have given like the Powdered Monster Slayer or something. I definitely would have given the Ogre Palace Guards uh, something uh, like waiver mitigation. And then I probably would have had enough points to throw in maybe a uh, Exemplar Hunter instead of the, uh, the Order of the Abyssal Hunt. But I did like the list. The list did pretty well, all things considered. And I think I placed fifth. Uh... Well, two, two, and one. It's probably middle of the pack, bro. No, no. It was actually, I, I did a lot better than I expected because my tie was really good. And so was so were both of my wins. Both of my but wins. But you got shot off the win. tail by the Twilight Kin, I recall. Yeah, that was my first. That was my first round. That was miserable. How many units of chariots? Eleven. Eleven uh, skiffs. It wasn't the shots that killed me? Honestly, it was the weakness and the fact that they could actually do melee combat damage. Yeah, there's my list. I like it a lot. Well, Kevin obviously had to had to drop and, and, and couldn't be here for this, but he did give us the list to share. So he's got a twenty three hundred point list, and it starts with the Lane Penitent Horde. Uh, he's got two. This is interesting. He's got two hordes of Valane Bowmen. May, may have to give that a shot sometime. Uh, he's got two regiments of the Order of the Abyssal Hunt. One of them has the Boots of Striding. He's got two regular Phoenixes. He's got an Exemplar Chaplain Hero mounted. Got an Exemplar Hunter Hero with the Order of the Lone Wolf and Mace of Crushing. He has the Bearer of the Holy Icon with the Ludus Insatiable Darkness to give him Bane Chant. And then he's got the Formation. And on one of the Knights, he's got a Helm of Confidence. Nothing on the second unit. And then he's got Blade of Slashing on the Dragon. And that's 13 drops and 24 unit strength. Through this whole thing, I've I've been picking up on the fact that there really is no, like, this is the build 
for Brother Mark. I think there's lots of different ways you can play it effectively. What are your guys' thoughts on that? The, the ability to have multiple viable builds. I like it. I think the issue is is the word viable. I think quite often there are some lists where you go, well, everyone takes this list because this is the optimum list. Um, and this is this is sort of fantastic. Whereas there, there isn't there isn't a sort of, or at least in my view, there isn't a jump out obvious way to play this army. That it is capable of being played in multiple ways. And um, that being said, I don't think it's sort of like undead where you can sort of select half a dozen units from the army and sort of put it together and it'll all synergize very well. I think you've got to sort of pick your battles and sort of say, well, I'm going to lean hard into this idea or lean hard into this idea. But there is there is different synergies to, to focus on, which I think does mean that you can have, as the three of us have shown, quite different army selection choices. I think it's always a good sign that a list has multiple different routes that it can be played as. I do like the Valane Penitents, and I do like the uh, the two chaplains that you're running to back them up with. Uh, it's it's good to have multiple options. As far as new player-friendly, kind of is and kind of isn't. It depends on how you play it. Because elite armies just march them through and slap them. I mean, most times most times elite armies take a little a little bit of maneuvering just to make sure that those things don't die off the start. So that's kind of where I would shy. I would have like new players shy away from that. But, I mean, heck, if you're taking an all-shooty list, there's only a couple things that you can do with that. I mean, line them up and shoot. That's, that's kind of how that works. We're wrapping up here, but one question I do have for you guys. What's the pitch for a new player that may be new to Kings of War to play Brother Mark? You're a demon hunter. Thematically, it's awesome. And when you're doing good, you really feel like the power and presence. Jed, same question to you, though. What would be your pitch to a new player that's looking for an army? You know, Why should they think about Brother Mark? There is something for everyone um, in terms of um, what you want to build, and it's got such a really engaging sort of backstory and, and sort of aesthetic that you can sort of bring it to the table. Like, if, if it wasn't for the fact that you could have this sort of really interesting, gritty, as you say, just, just regular guys um, faced with difficult problems kind of thing. If, if it wasn't for that, I probably wouldn't play them in truth. There's, there's, there's better armies out there. But yeah, they are a really sort of engaging faction and, and they do bring up quite a lot of really fun modeling and sort of sort of unit composition ideas. So I, 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 I really enjoy playing that. I really enjoy making the army, whether I enjoy playing them as much as I enjoy making the army is a different matter. They're kind of like a kingdom as a mem army, but with a lot more flavor. Yeah, that, that's that's right. Spicy kingdoms of men. There it is. The spicy kingdoms of men. What I suppose they lack over kings kings of men is the flexibility. There, there are there are a few bits. In, so, for example, if 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 this army had a speed ten knight unit, it would be wallop and everyone. But at the same point, it would be a green lady army if it did. Well, guys, I appreciate you taking the time. I know this is always a Herculean effort to do these things, but I think it's important to shine a light on all the armies, especially the ones that maybe aren't being played as much. It's not always about how they play on the table. It's got a cool backstory, and it fits in my head canon. To your point, Jed, one of the biggest things is it lets me paint what I want to paint. Yeah. Right? That's at the end of the day. Like If it lets me put lots of bodies on the table of, of downtrodden, people that, that feel like they're on a destiny to destroy evil in the world. I mean, like that's just a cool theme that I can get behind. Well, I think, I think I was, um, I was playing at a tournament last year. I'd won my first two games and a tournament organized from the UK, Bob um, came over to me and said, how have you just won two games? Brother Marcus. And I was like, well, okay. <laughs> sort of sets the stall out for the rest of the event. And I think I lost all my other games after that, but final thoughts, Jackson. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun doing this. I mean, Brother Mark, uh, regardless of what I just said, they're not the greatest army, but 
like like Jed said, there's something for everybody. People who play Brother Mark play it because the lore is great. The lore implications are awesome. The army is a lot of fun to play, and it's a lot of fun to paint too. I, I feel like that's not something that we touched on big enough. Is that it's a lot of fun to paint. I mean, and you can get so creative with it because they can be crusade knights, they can be grail knights, they can be they can be like the demon slayer. I mean, you can you could do so much different stuff with this. It's it's a lot of fun. Final comments from you, Jed. Just have to echo what what Jackson's just said. Really, I mean, there's so many, so much sort of versatility. Whether you sort of lean into this idea of being sort of um, Game of Thrones Night's Watch, or whether your um, paladin monster slayers are um, witches from the Witcher universe, it's um, it's it's entirely the world's your oyster in that sense. But yeah, thanks so much for inviting me on, uh, Robert. It's, uh, been really really fun kevin wanted to say thank you to, to you all this was just so much fun to talk about a really great awesome. army and um the last piece is is if you haven't given like to all the listeners out there if you haven't really given a look to the brother mark really uh, do so and come check us out on our facebook page right we've got the order of the green lady and the order of the brother mark um we're always looking for new ideas discussions that whole thing well guys that's going to do us tonight and until next time keep countercharging. thanks for listening And we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.